Good morning, happy Thursday, and welcome to Adam versus the Man. We made it. We are at T minus plus nine from Election Day with a lot of fun election news to catch up on. But the theme of today's show is that conservative tears taste just as good as liberal tears, or really, rather, more importantly, or, or to more accurately describe where we find the best tasting tears. Republican tears and Democrat tears, they both taste absolutely delicious. And I'd like to think back to 2016 when Trump supporters called Clinton supporters store losers. And uh, it's a fun fun moment in American history to look back on in order to better understand what we're experiencing right now in this post-election emotional process that America is going through right now. And what you, what you come to realize is that when, you are, when you're a statist, as in someone who believes that we should turn to an institution of coercion in order to solve social problems, and, and then you get pulled into, well, I, I have to force my opinions on other people because – other people's opinions might be wrong, and then you don't get your way. You're going to cry about it. And and right now we see we you know obviously we're talking about crying is in the uh, negative emotional response to not getting your way. Although there is there is some literal crying. We're going to get to a lot of headlines. We got a lot of catching up to do today. So first, get our we're going to get our promos out of the way, and we're going to check in with our audience. We got comment Jim Freedom joining us from Phoenix today. So if you whatever you've been enjoying. For conservative tears lately. I mean, I, I almost want to say that there's there are some liberals who were crying when uh, when 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 Biden clinched the Democratic nomination because they knew what a uh, you know big government moderate uh, I, the, uh, <sighs> creepy Joe Biden the kid sniffer looks like he's going to be our president. So what have you been enjoying about this whole election, this process? One of the contests we had earlier was, what do you think the best thing to come out of this election was and why? And, of course, we rem- we got to remember and celebrate that the uh, the big winner of, of this 2020 election was drugs. Yeah, and the people who are on them who are winning the war on drugs. So with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take – we're going to do a heavy news day today. i got to get ready. Thank you to the voters of Arizona for overwhelmingly passing Prop 207 to take us, although barely, from a medical to a recreational cannabis state. Now, CJ, oh, God, producer CJ is really on top of this. <clears throat> CJ Abernathy and our producers club said, did Adam just say our president? And I did, and I apologize, CJ, if I did not make my sarcastic tone clear enough President looks like Biden's going to be our president. I, I, I could have been a little more clear with the sarcasm there, I suppose, uh, or the maybe tongue-in-cheek nature of that state. But, yes, Biden is not my president or your president or the president of anybody who understands freedom and self-ownership and libertarianism and has really come to internalize one of the most important 
elements of the Adam versus the man message, which is that of, of self-realization and actualization by taking charge of your own life. That Because of that element of the message of freedom, we are uniquely empowered to live better lives as libertarians. And I, and I hope that everybody understands that point here and gets that from our message today. So if you're wondering what's this producer's club chat thing, this is not like I actually, <clears throat> this is when I do this show, I, I basically have two things in front of me, uh, aside from my, my broadcast device here. Uh, on, on, on my main laptop, I'm looking at uh, my browser. I got Firefox with, you know, 100 tabs pulled up. And we've got Telegram. And Telegram, I, I, this is not like anything more than just a functional endorsement, not a paid promotion or anything. Uh, but Telegram is a, is a great messaging app. Uh, that's that's sort of an alternative to texting, but it has way more features built in and really cool group management uh, and creation tools. So we use this, and this is what I'm looking at during the show is I'm getting messages from everybody in our Producers Club chat. So Brad Brad Brown is in there. Good morning, brother. Uh, and, and so uh, if you want to be a part of this, you know, we, we give away memberships on the show. By the way, before I go any further, I forgot to announce our guest. I really want to do this. We have our guests coming on at, at our normal slot at the uh, the top of the hour, uh, 10 a.m. or yeah, 10 a.m. Pacific. And Elijah Gitzarelli is our guest today. And if you don't know who Elijah is, you know it's funny. Day after Veterans Day, he's also an Army vet who was my campaign manager, one of my best friends, uh, and, and someone who's been very actively involved with the Jorgensen campaign. So we're going to do kind of an after-action report today. Uh, on the Jorgensen campaign, and we definitely welcome your questions and feedback for that. Uh, we're going to go at least 30 minutes with that interview for sure. So if, if you want to ask questions uh, of someone, Elijah wasn't staffed, I don't think, at any point. Uh, and so it gives us a unique window into the campaign as, as someone I believe to be entirely trustworthy. Uh, I got pretty good experience with Elijah over the years. Uh, of course, Anybody could be a plant. Anybody could be turned at any time. But in that uh, direct sense, you know, assuming the facts uh, in front of us are, are correct, uh, Elijah uh, offers a really unique window, I think, into the Jorgensen campaign and this election cycle as sort of a uh, super volunteer or a senior volunteer. We'll get into exactly what his story was with the campaign. So if you have questions, uh, you know, go ahead and, and, and put them in the chat, and uh, Jim will we'll collect those. Uh, but especially be, be here for the interview live. We'll, we'll stop at one point during the interview and take questions from the audience. But if you want to really make sure your question gets asked, be in the Producers Club chat. And, you know, I don't know, are we, are we giving away membership today? I don't know. we got a lot to cover today. I, I really would hope that our comments are just focused on this after-action report from the Jorgensen campaign. And obviously not comprehensive, just one dude's perspective, but I think Elijah is, is incredibly savvy when it comes to politics and activism and being able to provide uh, an analysis like this. I'm really looking forward to talking to him today. So if, if you want to make sure that your question gets asked during the show or, or your comment gets read, uh, the best way is to be in the Producers Club. And you can join for just $10 a month if you go to adamversustheman.com. There's a link to our Patreon, and anybody who gives $10 or more per month gets membership in the Producers Club. And uh, you also get 15% off and free shipping on everything in our store. 
So check that out also at adamversustheman.com. And the other critical way, uh, support our affiliate deal with cigarfederation.com, promo code ADAM10, A-D-A-M, all caps, one zero, ADAM10, all caps, gets you 10% off your order there. And I, I, I don't know if you guys are tired of hearing me saying it every day, but uh, my favorite there is the, uh, the CBD-infused JSK Nugs. You know, I don't mind, I don't smoke, mind smoking cannabis and cigars together, but it is nice. It is, it is, a, it is a, a luxury of flavor and convenience to be able to smoke a cigar like the JSK Nugs. And I really appreciate that. So then the store, adamversustheman.com slash store, really cool merchandise. And now that we have a studio, so it's a slower process than I had hoped, getting everything built out here at the Freedom Factory. But this feels really awesome. It is, it's, it's really exciting to have this, you know, despite all the challenges with censorship and just general suppression of this message, shadow banning, uh, and if you're a regular viewer, listener, I, I don't have to tell you about that. And if you don't know, we have plenty of prior episodes about this, but it's real. We got censorship stories in the news today. And, and it, you know, when, when you're facing that, man, I just, I so love having this producers club and it, we have 31 people in here. That's it. And five of us are the core team. Me, executive producer, CJ Abernathy in South Dakota, Co-host at, at Comment, Jim Freedom, uh, coming to us currently from Phoenix, although hopefully soon back at the Garden of Freedom. And Marcus Pulis in Indiana, our guest booker uh, slash press secretary. I actually still book, like, I, I still do a few interviews a week, even though I'm not a candidate. Although I, I guess I, I should be doing more now that I'm, uh, or now that, now that uh, I'm not at a disadvantage uh, to candidates in terms of getting attention for political speech. Uh, and, and of course, Mercedes Damrotowski, who is, uh, in, in her way, stepping up her role right now, but at least her current title is debate manager. So check out makethemdebate.com to help us out. Really cool way to help make debates happen. So, uh, I think that's it for, for, oh, I got one other really cool announcement, although it's kind of, kind of just like a sneak preview at this point. Uh, yesterday, happy, happy Veterans Day to me. Uh, and to the community of libertarian veterans, I received the funding that we had asked for from a major donor to uh, as seed funding for Homefront Battle Buddies. And Homefront Battle Buddies uh, is a veteran service organization uh, for uh, to host retreats for veterans for therapy, uh, for, for talk therapy and other alternative therapies. I say that talk therapy is an alternative therapy because the non-alternative is drugs. And just quick personal story here, because I, I will say that I'll, I'll tell people this, like, at every chance I get. And I, I, I'm a little, by the way, I'm a little hesitant to, to give any more details about Homefront Battle Buddies because uh, I'm, I'm still working. So part, part of having the seed money means we get to, to, you know, put together a website and file for C3 status and put together a business plan and, and things like that. And uh, I don't want to sort of like pigeonhole, but, you know, all this is sort of subject to change as we develop the idea. But my, my personal story that's a big part of the motivation for this, aside from having friends, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to I don't want to say like, hey, feel sorry for me. This isn't like yeah, any particularly challenging experience, but. 
because it wasn't anybody close to me. It's not like I felt any lo- any like, deep personal loss from uh, the the Marines who I knew in the service who have committed suicide since then. But it is uh, something I am, you know, it's a, it's a part of my military experience that, that you know, the gift that keeps giving years after you get out of the military, yeah. Uh, and when I went to the VA, when I got out of the Marines, and I was I was in Washington, D.C., uh, working on getting a master's at George Washington University, and uh, was getting involved with the Rock Veterans Against the War. And I was having trouble sleeping, and I was having issues with uh, a little bit of involuntary memory recall, uh, as in certain things with, you know, it's, it's when it, – the name really says it all. I was thinking about it. involuntary memory recall. Yeah. Uh, just So I went to the VA and told that and talked to a shrink for about five minutes, walked out of there with a little little brown paper bag, five prescriptions, three of them had suicide listed as a side effect. And that was – I'm, I'm really fortunate that I, I had access to cannabis, and uh, I didn't take uh, hardly any of those drugs. Uh, I never got any of those refilled. I, I tried a couple of them. And was like, eh, no, uh, this is, no, not for me. Uh, but I also was the, I guess you could, call, you could call what we're doing now with Homefront Battle Buddies, Homefront Battle Buddies 2.0, 1.0 was the name of a program that I ran with Iraq Veterans Against the War out of the D.C. IVAW house. And it was just a peer support group, uh, uh, veterans doing talk therapy. And in that I, I got, you know, I have, I have most of an under, or no, excuse me, my undergraduate, I say most usually about politics. Usually I'm like, oh, no, no, I, I only have, you know, most of an, uh, an undergrad, or, you know, part of an undergrad in, in political science. But no, my undergraduate degree is in psychology, and I did a uh, training at that time from Vets for Vets specifically about uh, hosting uh, peer support group talk therapy sessions for veterans. And that's what we did every week in the basement of the IBW house, and it was an amazing experience. And there was a, a, a major part of that uh, was because we were doing it under the Iraq Veterans Against the War banner. It was explicitly not in lo- not supportive of government policy. You know, if you if you came there, you knew you weren't going to get rationalization or, or propaganda, to, you know, justification for, for policy, and however you looked at the war, you, you knew that you would not be judged for the conclusions that you came to about the military or your service or the global war on terror. And, whew, yeah, that, that it, I hate to say it was like a safe space, but yeah, like in a real legitimate way, it was a safe space. When if you go to the VA for talk therapy, you don't, you, first of all, do you, do you know how many times the VA has lost uh, my social security number or had it hacked or, or stolen? Do you really trust them to keep things confidential? Can, can you trust going into a, a government facility that you won't be judged for any anti, anti-government views? So what we're doing now with Homefront Battle Buddies really is recreating the uh, what we had with Homefront Home Home Battle Buddies 1.0 under uh, Iraq Veterans Against the War or as a program, 
of Iraq Veterans Against the War. We are uh, reviving the brand to create an independent nonprofit to create that same space, safe space for veterans who uh, are not comfortable for whatever reason using government treatment options for processing their military or combat uh, and or combat experience. Uh, so we, what we're, what we really, what we want to start with is retreats here in Gardenia, uh, you know, maybe weekend retreats where uh, veterans can come together and, and enjoy that space and have some talk therapy sessions and be able to talk to experts. Um, it's not like it's just going to rely, you know, this is going to be sitting around talking to me. Uh, I'm really excited to have uh, Stephen McClure, who you may have seen interviewed uh, on this program several times. He is a, a Navy Afghanistan combat Bronze Star veteran. Uh, and one of the pastors in Georgia who is doing COVID civil disobedience, we interviewed him a couple times about that. So I, I'll, stop, I'll stop rambling on this for now. We will hopefully have a formal uh, video announcement when uh, when Stephen and I get organized, you know, maybe within the next couple of weeks. But if you want to get involved with this or anything else we've got going on here in Gardenia or any of my other projects, feel free to email me, adam at thefreedomline.com. And if uh, you want to uh, – sorry, I'm looking at the Producers Club chat right now. CJ is saying he reached out to me on Facebook. Blah, blah, blah. So he wants to come on the broadcast. Um, well, like – uh, Stephen and I just got in contact this morning, and we're gonna. I, I don't even. I don't want to say anything more about this for now, except to invite people to get involved. If, if especially if you're a veteran, you want to be a part of this effort. It is. It is really important. Uh, I, I hate. I hate to just. I hate that that's true. I hate that veteran suicide is still an issue. Uh, but I, I am what, what I see is the potential for this Homefront Battle Buddies project uh, because hopefully it will it will within our lifetimes become unnecessary uh, except perhaps as a nostalgic society or club. Uh, Right now, there are a lot of veterans who are struggling and struggling with currently available treatment sources because the majority come with, frankly, status liabilities and limitations. Uh, I, you know, in terms of uh, alternative drug therapies as well, and. Uh, Obviously, for liability reasons, I'm not going to give any specifics there. But uh, what we have here as a, as a safe space uh, without such government limitations is uh, is going to save lives. If we do this right, if, if we really – so please, if you, if you can get involved with this, if you have, uh, if you have some time to, to donate or contribute or – uh, skills that you, that you want to contribute to Homefront Battle Buddies, send me an email at the garden, or excuse me, <laughs> Adam at thefreedomline.com. Last thing, CJ, before we get to Jim, 
show uh, everyone the Instagram page for the Garden of Freedom. Uh, this is so cool. I'm, I'm really excited that, that, that at least uh, this propaganda-laden, manipulated social media outlet, uh, Instagram is allowing us to host a wonderful photo gallery that anyone can access at the Garden of Freedom on Instagram. So please check that out. And, find, and again, email me if you want to get involved with anything, adam at thefreedomline.com. Let's get comments and freedom up on stage here before we jump into this pile. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I rambled for 20 minutes. Okay. We do want to cover a lot of headlines today. So, Jim, uh, critical comments. What do we got here? How are you doing, brother? Well, we, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, man. We can, we can make it quick. We got a few, a few, but they're good. So uh, we'll just go through. Of course, we got a good morning from our favorite first first commenter. Don't be a statist, Mr. Statist. Uh, Kareem M. Mays on Facebook said, "And cap tears taste good. You don't have to pay income tax." <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, that's. I, I gotta like uh, take that, that that make fun of yourself self examination here. If I'm going to use the metaphor of of you know Republican tears and Democrat tears. You could say that that uh, libertarians are just crying all the time. <laughs> but we have we have we have legitimate reason to. We're crying at injustice, and not just we're not just crying about not getting our way like spoiled brats. Uh, you know, we're crying about the legit injustices of the world in contrast to Republicans and Democrats who might think that's what they're doing, but really are crying because they didn't get to force their opinions on other people. So we got a bunch of hellos, uh, RHSCTJ and Colette Allen. Hi from her side of the pond. Beautiful. Uh, Hey, I'll take this. Finally, 20 minutes in is the opportunity to remind everybody, share this program. We need to have an intro that that says, like we play every day at the beginning of the show, that says, we are being censored. Please support the show by sharing our content. You know, uh, we rely on you guys active and engaged in our audience, uh, to get past the censors. You know, this is a a great technology that we have, but uh, as long as as we see the kind of manipulation of the conversation, we can really only rely on uh, the places where we post content to just post the content, not to, you know, fairly distribute it or notify people when it's up. So that's one of the things I like about the format that we're in right now, uh, you know, occasionally we're a few minutes late getting started for, for whatever challenges, but, you know, we are here at 9 a.m. Pacific time, Monday through Friday, and, you know, consistently giving you guys, I hope, I mean, if you're watching right now, if you're still listening 20 minutes in, obviously you value this product. So, uh, you know, please, it's it's more than just, uh, it's more than just a product. Uh, this this kind when when you're doing independent media production where you're putting the message before profits, it, it's it's activism, and we rely on your your love and support and donations of of money and time and and really even if you if you're taking the time to listen that's that's the most important thing, but whatever you can do to share this message is is especially appreciated. Word. Uh, John Thompson says, looking great. Adam, keep up the fight. And he is looking forward to this AAR with Elijah John Gitarelli. Yes. I think a lot yes. of people are. That's good. Kareem wants to know if JoJo is running again in 2024. Uh, I assume probably so. She'll be running against you for the Libertarian ticket once again, right? 
<laughs> yeah, and and I I would you know I I would be disappointed if I ran again and, and didn't get the nomination if we didn't if, if there if we couldn't get a critical mass. We didn't of, learn our lesson. <laughs> well, if we didn't get a critical mass of people into the, the LP or convince a critical mass of of the activists and delegates of the bait, you know, the hardcore, the real base of, I mean, that's the re- the real foundation of the LP is is not. I don't want to say it's it's the thousand delegates who go to the national convention uh, every two years, but uh, all the people who put in that time who could be the delegates or, you know, our local organizers with the Libertarian Party, uh, and, and certainly I would include everybody who puts in the time and energy to be a delegate and go to the National Convention this category, but it is those several thousand, maybe, I don't know, somewhere around five to ten thousand of us total who make up the real foundation of the LP. And I, I would hope that uh, see, and, and this is part of the AAR we're going to see that, that we're going to talk about today. I would hope that, and, and, and by the way, I'm seeing this, and a lot of this might just be, you know, people trying to be friendly. But you know, like when I get on Twitter, uh, one of the things I've been I've been seeing, uh, especially lately, is I, we need to nominate someone on Kokesh's platform for 2024. You know, we need to look at you know radical localization. Uh, and again, radical is in striking at the root uh, of the problem, as Henry David Thoreau said, for every thousand striking at the branches of evil, there is one striking the root. And people, I, I, I think people are starting to see that nominating someone who didn't offer that was a, a strategic mistake for 2020, that this was our chance and it was a missed opportunity. And I think Joe Jorgensen is a great candidate. I like her personally, and I like her politically. And I can ethically support her, uh, or support her in a way because it's not just, oh, she's a lesser evil of some kind. She really is advocating in, in a message of ethical libertarianism. And I can look at her platform and say that she is offering the American people the best that she can to transform the federal government into a voluntary institution. And that's awesome. I, I wish that had been front and center in her message because that at least would have had some of the appeal of showing how radical her message is. Although, you know, I don't think that's really, you know, what held her back this year, although it was, it was, it was, a, it was a factor. And uh, part of the campaign and, and getting ready for 2024 is, uh, you know, being active and, advocating for this message, but also recruiting people to be ready to be delegates. And and this is one of the reasons why I encourage good, passionate, ethical, voluntarist libertarians, especially those who support my platform of localization, to get involved with the party now. Uh, You know, not just for all the immediate value that comes out of that, but because of the cumulative value that you get from sticking around. I mean, if you go to two libertarian party meetings in a row – we usually make you an officer, so you know there's, there are a lot of uh, bad jokes about that. We well, I'll probably save for, for the interview with Elijah. Um, but uh, yeah, getting ready for 2024, I, I think that uh, between now and then, there's there's a, there's a great opportunity to set us, ourselves up for success. And it's not this isn't about me. It's about the line in the sand that we as a team drew with this campaign, saying that we are proposing 
uh, uh, we are making a serious offer to the American people. Hey, do you really want a president? Do you really need a federal government? Could we localize this and, and have 50 independent states instead to start and uh, you know start the process of, of localization? And that that is getting, I think, more and more appeal over time. I'm very confident in that. And, and as long as the support keeps building for this message, and for me, I'll, I'm going to keep running. And, and I'm really looking forward to 2024 for a lot of reasons. And talking to Elijah about this now. A couple comments here from CJ in the in the uh, producers club chat. He says it is 100 percent who the LNC and state parties can recruit and nominate and send delegates to the national convention that determines what happens at the convention. Uh, I am on the executive committee for the LPSD Libertarian Party of South Dakota and was a delegate uh, as well as a candidate. I got the full LP treatment. Yeah, as CJ really jumped in with with both feet this last cycle, and you can see now. See, I don't even want to tell you how. What was how long ago was your active start uh, with the LP? Uh, I ran for governor in 2018, uh, and uh, I was uh, I was pretty uh, angry guy. Uh, I guess any anyone could tell you from the LP uh, SD here in South Dakota that uh, I was a I was very much an emotional guy, and uh, but I was a I don't know. I, my my time my 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 joining the party was based on the fact that I was spending a lot of time with libertarians and I was uh, talking with a lot of libertarians and then next thing you know I'm going to libertarian meetings and they are recruiting me and and, and instead of uh, being this angry guy it, now it became like this. Well, you like to bitch about the problem. Now what are you going to do? So then it was like, well, I guess I'll. Run for office. Uh, I'll try to get your nomination. I'll I'll be uh you know the East River Regional Coordinator on the Executive Committee. I'll be I'll be the candidate for my district. I'll I'll volunteer as tribute. You know since <laughs> you know like and uh, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, really, in all honesty, my experience is is whoever your state, how many delegates you can get. Like South Dakota, we sent three to the national convention, but for the amount of votes we got this year, you'd think we'd have more, you know, libertarian delegates going to the national convention and, and uh, you know, support and, and, and being able to play more of an active role, I guess. But either way, uh, you know, we only sent three, so it's kind of like the joke, like, well, what is the Libertarian Party of South Dakota going to do against, like, a state like New York or something, or California? All right, CJ, I, hope, I, hope he, I, I don't want to interrupt, because I want to come back to this perhaps when, uh, when we've, got, we've got Elijah on here, get more into the, the, uh, the politics. We get through our headlines, get some time for some journalistic responsibility this morning. But, right. uh, CJ, that's, that's a great hat you're wearing. Where did you get that? Uh, that's at the store. <laughs> yeah, and hey. Just the Big white freedom logo on a black background, and when we had that hat before, we it, it, we had to discontinue it when we were doing merch a different way. And CJ brought it back, and it was the most in-demand discontinued item. People, I could like kept wearing my. You were like, where do I get this? Oh, you yeah. can't. I like, I, like, you can. I like the I like the the portable windbreaker. You know, like I like this. This one's my favorite. So Adam versus the man dot com slash store. Thank you, CJ. Jim, any other critical comments before we get to our our news? Uh, well, here's a positive note, Chris uh, Haig or whatever. Adam Kokesh, you are the oh, man. Thanks for being around, brother. You give my life hope. 
Yeah, oh, thanks. That's that right. I hope I give. Uh... By the way, I I uh, I I, I got to say I had a really cool opportunity yesterday. I got to meet one of our producers club members in person for the first time uh, in Prescott as, as he was coming through town. Uh, he is only known in the producers club publicly as Retribution. So I got to meet Retribution yesterday. And you just reminded me of that because of the hope thing. And, and I, I, get, I don't want to reveal anything about his, his story unless, unless he wants to share it maybe uh, in a, if he wants to send me an email to, to read or to call in about it. But uh, the, the element of, of hope and, and you know, was, was really important uh, to, to recent events in his life. And that's some of the best feedback. Aside from you made me libertarian, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, your positivity. Uh, you, you know, acknowledgement of our current political tragedy with positivity is uh, is kind of a rare thing. And you know, if if you look at the world and you go, man, shit's fucked up, and people are hurting because because of governments and this, you know, we're we're helpless. Uh, you know, if, if someone comes out and tries to be positive in a way that denies that, you know, it doesn't have credibility. But if you can acknowledge that and face all the greatest evils of the world and still be able to find a place of peace and happiness inside yourself, you know, that's real freedom. And, and I hope that that's, you know, it, it's always encouraging to see when people are getting that from the show. For sure. Definitely. Uh, you know, our friend Peter Yapel is in the comments. He says, you have me to utilize as you know. We will win, and yes, we need to stroke at the base, take out the legs. Uh, yeah, Peter is, is one of the, the greatest sources of encouragement. And, uh, yeah. and for me as a candidate going into 2024, knowing that, you know, most of our team uh, is – more committed than before to making this happen and, and have learned from, from this past experience. Yeah. All right. So the last and, comment, and for, last right, last comment is a thought to ponder. Just the last comment is a suggestion for you, and then we go to the news. It's from Wonderful Freedom. Adam, you should go on Jocko or Mike Ritland's podcast to reach new people with your message. Well, hey, if you want to send uh, Marcus, Marcus at thefreedomline.com, M-A-R-C-U-S, an, an email with any interview requests, either for guests for this show or for me to be a guest on other people's show, you can just send, it, send them to him, and he will do whatever you know, whatever's appropriate to make them happen. Or uh, they can go to Make Them Debate and put a, yeah, a, a, make them create a thing for it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, especially for this program, I, I'd like to do, you know, be, be doing two guests a day if we can keep the quality up. So, you know, let us know. Uh, and, and we really, really appreciate, and we especially get them from the producers called guest requests, people you want to see me interview. All right. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. To the news. Oh, yeah. There's so much crap in the news right now to catch up on. We've had a lot of fun discussions this week and put off some stories. But there's oh man, do I need another bong rip to get through this this block? I think I can do it. I'm going to need one at the end though. So uh, there's still, there's stuff about the the, the election still. Obviously as, as this is being contested one way or another and the theme of today's show, you know, conservative tier or uh, Republican tiers taste just as good as Democrat tiers. 
what the, the story that inspired that and so I, there was a meme that I saw with with uh, uh, on on my on Twitter the, the, the you know girl's face where she's like and then smiling uh, questioning and then smiling and the the caption that someone put on that is that moment you realize that Republican tears taste just as good as liberal or Democrat tears. Oh man, is that weird that I'm getting those? I, I, I keep semantically switching those: conservative, Republican, and Democrat, liberal. Because really, neither party is either, uh, and, and and neither party represents their base, which identifies as such. A, Republic, a conservative, by the definition of the word, means uh, someone who supports uh, maintenance or, or conserving uh, uh, preservation of existing social institutions. Uh, a liberal is someone who wants to see change and progress in, in, in those terms. Uh, but liberal didn't always mean that originally. The, the word itself is opposed to progressive. Progressive and conservative would linguistically be more closer to, to precise opposites here. And this is where you go, well, libertarians are the only real progressives who are advocating actual meaningful progress as opposed to just switching the flavor of existing social institutions. Or, or arguing about their size, but for the gov or the conservatives in the Republican base who are genuinely small government, the Republican Party doesn't represent them, not even freaking close. And for the liberals who, you know, I mean, you might say Rand Paul. Uh, Rand Paul represents that, that majority of the base, and he's relegated to minority status among elected Republicans. And you can say the same thing about, about Democrats, that they... Uh, you know, the, the, their base is better represented by Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and in, in Congress right now, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, AOC. And the, the, they are both parties, both old parties, both, uh, both wings of the American Fascist Party, do play this game with their base in order to serve their corporate sponsors. It's a way of subverting public opinion and getting people to accept policies that don't represent them and are fundamentally exploitive. But to the people who have this sick emotional investment in politics, they cry when their candidates lose. Or at least crying is a pretty good metaphorical description of their emotional process of grief. And now we see this headline from The Independent via Yahoo.com from a uh, Graham Massey, Trump supporter files restraining order against neighbors who celebrated Biden win. Yeah. Uh, there are snowflakes on the left and the right. Uh, Trump supporter filed a restraining order against his neighbors who he claims taunted him over Joe Biden's election win. Michael Mason says he took legal action after being harassed, quote, harassed by his Democratic supporting neighbors who he says mocked him over Trump's loss. Mr. Mason, I just, Mr. Mason, I'm mocking you right now. Like, uh, bring it. <laughs> Mr. Mason filed a restraining order to have the neighbors stay 100 feet away from his home after Mr. Biden became the president-elect. And he says he even called the police after the neighboring children chanted about Mr. Biden's win to upset his own children. According to CBS 13, I'm not trying to say that this is representative of all Trump supporters, but I would hope that all Trump supporters can critically examine the part of them that they have in common with Mr. Mason here. And I, I'm not 
I mean, really, you called the police on children for chanting. I don't want to mock you. I, I hope that I can provide just like a little bit of insight that might inspire some self-examination to help see just how sick and sad this is. And when I say I hope, I hope that this would inspire some self-examination among Trump supporters. I, I don't know if there are any Biden supporters who perhaps voted for Clinton in 2016 who uh, are listening, that, that you could have the same self-examination here and go, well, gee, what unhealthy emotional or psychological attachment do I have to politics that leads to these negative emotional responses to results that don't go my way? And then I hope you would, you would, you would keep pulling that thread until the sweater unravels and you go, oh, this whole thing is based on an unethical institution that forces its will on people called government. And if we're going to progress past this, we need to understand it and it, it, at least let go of this unhealthy emotional attachment. Because what this reveals, and this is why I say Republican tears taste just as good as liberal tears, The people who are emotionally upset right now over Trump's loss have an unhealthy attachment to politics based on the premise of them getting to force their will on everybody if they happen to be in the majority and being disappointed when they find out they're not in the majority. But I would also have to take this opportunity to point out for all the crying Republicans and, and Democrats that you not getting to force your will on other people because you're not in the majority is, is based on a, an, a, an illusion of the electoral process in the first place. Look at the numbers. It, it, it's all... Turnout in presidential elections, and yes, this was a record turnout, but not, you know, by some, you know, game-changing margin. It's only about 60% of eligible voters who consistently vote in every presidential election. And that doesn't even include the entire population. I mean, not only do you take out children and, and people who are ineligible for reasons like felonies, but when, when you look at the total population, you're not 60%, you're, you're under 40%, which means that the person who, or the, the, the group of people who validate our government, validate, give them the excuse to force their will on the rest of us, are really a, a minority closer to under 20%. And you go, wow, yeah. It's, it, it, the illusion of majority public support of our political process or our current leadership needs to be understood so that we can get past all of the ways that they psychologically get in our heads and, and manipulate us with propaganda into crying like children when we don't get our way politically. 
One of the greatest criers in politics, Gloria Borger, or Borger, I don't know, I don't care, CNN chief political analyst, as this column headline, Trump puts his bottom line before the country and the GOP is helping him do it. Given what we know about Donald Trump, his refusal to accept losses, he begins a revenge purge of his perceived enemies. Should not surprise us. He is a tiny man, devoid of moral fiber and character, defined only by his self-interest. Now, right away, you know, like anybody who leads with, I mean, this is this is this is your your criticism of Donald Trump. He's tiny. He, I mean, he's actually big. He's like six three, right? Um, <laughs> I didn't know they stack shit that high. If you don't have an intellectual argument to back this up, or you're doing this, you know, left right only. You gotta, you gotta question the source of this. But you're, you're, the attack on Trump is tiny. Is, is attack on the way that he is sort of weaponized uh, toxic masculinity in politics, which really offends people who are, are you know, sensitive to that. It's sort of an underexamined dynamic uh, of the Trump effect. And you know, we're going to be examining this for years. But you, you really, you're. You, you're not even being funny with this. And so, I mean, so I, I'd like to think about if, if I do personality or appearance attacks on Cheeto Jesus or the kid sniffer or any, you know, any of these other, you know, national uh, political figures who are so easily ridiculed, then I, at least I want to make it funny or connected to something meaningful. Yeah, and I, I don't know, a tiny man, maybe there's some other reference here, uh, but Cadet Bones Spurs, you know, you want you can make fun of Trump for plenty of legitimate things without revealing your own bias, as CNN does in stories like this. So this is just a, a common theme here, as people are saying that Trump is raising money for his legal challenge to the election, but he is uh, <laughs> not doing anything special here when he says we're going to be able to use this money for other political efforts, which may enrich him personally. No, I mean, really, a Republican slash Democrat profiting from a career in politics? Shocking. That CNN would use this as, a, as an excuse to uh, demonize uh, a Republican president without any kind of perspective? No, not yet. Exactly what, what we predicted. TheHill.com has this next headline that speaks a little bit to the state of the wrangling over the presidential election outcome. GOP Senator says Biden should get access to intelligence briefings. Uh, GOP Senator James Langford, Oklahoma, said there was nothing wrong with President-elect Joe Biden getting intelligence briefings and pledged to step in if the former vice president doesn't have access by Friday. Ooh, yeah, so that's, that's one element of the fight that's going on right now is we've covered, you know, the... the fight over the actual mechanism of the handover through the GSA, Government Services Administration, whatever it is, uh, they actually kind of hold the keys to, uh, you know, what was a roughly $10 million budget and the access for transition teams when you go from uh, one president's administration to another, uh, refusing to start that process, as, as I believe we're still in that state right now, uh, where the process has not begun and that's the, the linchpin is that one GSA official right now. So, the, but I got to remind everybody, you know, the bigger fight here is for public credibility and acceptance. Uh, they don't want to have to force a president on the American people if they don't 
if we don't, at least in, in a critical mass, generally accept our authority enough that everybody in government's on board, that, you know, law enforcement, the military isn't in revolt. And uh, it, I, I, I'm pretty sure that the weight of public, and I don't want to, you know, everybody's like, well, we got to be careful making predictions against Trump now because he'll surprise you every time, even if he loses. Remember, again, Democrats predicted either a decisive victory or a landslide, not a nail-biter. And not to lose, they expected to pick up seats in the House as opposed to have lost seats in the House. So the last element of, of, of our political update today, would, you know, is, is, you know, for my uh, journalistic responsibility, I have to point out that there are still two pending Senate race, U.S. Senate runoffs in Georgia where voting happens in January, upon which control of the Senate rests. And if uh, the Democrats take those, they may take control of the Senate, which means that they would have all three branches of government. And Georgia is going to be uh, a, a pretty exciting political hotbed to follow as really, you know, this is, this is, this is a more interesting outcome, I think, rather than if historically, I think we're going to look back at the Georgia Senate races of 2021 as more historically significant than or more at least interesting than the presidential race because the significant difference you know, between Democrats having the White House and the, and the U.S. House of Representatives versus the House, the Senate, and the White House is huge in terms of policy. And, and, and I, I just, you know, not in terms of your experience as an individual, but in terms of which corporate sponsors uh, get preferential treatment. Uh, how effective is the government going to be in serving its core purpose of keeping the super rich getting richer at the expense of the rest of us? So you're not just going to see national political resources now converging in Georgia. There's there's a natural inclination among red team statists and blue team statists already to converge on Georgia. And we're hearing from both Republican and Democrat operatives that they are overwhelmed with volunteer requests, volunteer offers of support for these races in Georgia. But then you think about, like, all of the international manipulations that the presidential race is subject to, a lot of those interests now, because they do have an interest in whether or not the Senate goes Republican or Democrat, you're going to see a lot of interesting forces converging on Georgia in the next, uh, I guess, about two months. I'm, I'm looking forward to covering more of that. From Bangkok Post, all Hong Kong pro-democracy lawmakers to resign as China crushes opposition. And we have been covering the, the general story of, of Hong Kong uh, right now, especially as relates to the COVID outbreak and or the, the coronaphobia hoax as, uh, excuse me, the coronavirus. Uh, got you. We're on YouTube. Can't challenge the WHO. Can't question the efficacy of any local health authorities. But yeah, this is obviously being used in ways to favor the authority of Beijing here in its political takeover of, of Hong Kong. So here we go. Hong Kong's pro-democracy lawmakers said Wednesday they would all quit in protest at the ousting of four of their colleagues who were judged a threat to national security by authoritarian Beijing. The resignations will reduce a semi-autonomous city's once feisty legislature to a gathering of Chinese central government loyalists effectively ending 
pluralism in the chamber. They also mark another blow to Hong Kong's beleaguered pro-democracy movement, which has been under sustained attack since China imposed a sweeping national security law, including arrests for social media posts and activists fleeing overseas. Now, remember, this started with a massive protest movement for more independence for Hong Kong that, oh, just so happened to get swept aside because you can't protest when there's a virus out. And if government is there, you know, to do the right thing and, you know, make sure that nobody gets out and, you know, challenges their authority and they get to use virus as the excuse now. Well, Hong Kong is a, a very important story for all of the ways and, 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 you know, understanding all of the ways that this virus has been used to increase government power and to serve the super class. I mean, look at how much richer people have gotten, the, the super rich. Uh, you know, Elon Musk being just one of many examples of, of how this has served to enrich the super rich. So one of my favorite things that came out of this was that in Hong Kong, some of the protesters were waving American flags. Because they, they were saying, look, we, we want to declare our independence like, like America did. And, you know, if, if, you, if you understand this as an American, you go, it's like, it's like someone, like if you're an alcoholic and you've relapsed and someone is praising you for being good and sober and you're like, oh, we used to act like we cared about freedom in America. So one of my favorite memes that came out of that was, Hong Kong protesters waving American flags, and the message was, America, be the America Hong Kong thinks you are. So uh, Wu Chi-Wai, uh, convener of the 15 remaining pro-democracy legislators, told a press conference, quote, we from the pro-democracy camp will stand with our colleagues. We will resign en masse. Now, whether that helps or hurts in the long run for Hong Kong, who knows? But this is a, a very important story, and, and, and as I talk about, you know, and this is, you know, a city with 7.5 million residents, uh, this is very important to tell this, it's very important to tell the story in, in the sense that I have invoked uh, about the, the, the longer-term picture with COVID. Do, do governments get to keep using this indefinitely? Or do they get to ramp this up? Is this a template for, for further ripoffs? Or do we, the people, get to write the history as opposed to the, the victors this time? Do we have sufficient freedom of information? Do we have sufficient understanding and inclination, motivation to, to see how much the, the, the cure has been worse than the disease at least? And, the, and, and if Hong Kong sovereignty or the prospect of it is another casualty of the war on COVID, then it needs to not be forgotten. So uh, we, we will be following the story and uh, at least doing everything we can in sharing it to support uh, the, I, they call it pro-democracy. Uh, there are a lot of different terms that, that we could pick apart as, as libertarians, but uh, for everybody fighting for independence for Hong Kong. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for standing up to the Chinese government. Thank you for going out and protesting and at least inspiring some Americans to be the America that Hong Kong at least hopes that we can be. So, uh, let's see, 
couple more stories before and we have we have a big block of of corona updates. Let's see if I can just breeze through this in a couple minutes before we get to our guests and quick check in with the comments. Reuters.com Merkel, that's uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel expects second wave of pandemic. Ger- Ger- Chancellor, uh, is that the right word? Highness. Her Majesty, Merkel expects second wave of pandemic to be more severe than first. Uh, this is just the, the, the general theme of the fear-mongering right now. But it's not, you know, the, beyond the fear-mongering, our next headline gives us a little more access and you know, insight to, to how the financial experts are seeing that the effect of this is, is uh, the, the uh, announcement that Pfizer has a 90% effective vaccine. Now, this is going to play out in economic terms. The Observer, Observer.com. As this headline, Bill Ackman sounds alarm for another COVID market crash despite vaccine hype. And this is a guy who played uh, the negative bets or sort of bet against the market uh, in time to, it says, uh, last time he made similar bets, he won and profited $2.6 billion or a 10,000% return on his investment in less than a month. Now, remember, percent to multiples, you take off two zeros. 10,000% return means his investment went up by a hundredfold. That, uh, huge, right? And uh, one one question I had about this story I didn't quite understand is, you know, why his the bet he's making now is only a third the size of that first one. But uh, you know, I'm sure it was something in the leveraging up. If he was, you know, he's he's and he's invested a lot of this 2.6 billion dollars in a lot of other things. Obviously, he's diversified after after this genius play. And I, I think the, uh, the the takeaway from this is that economic manipulations around COVID are going to be very relevant for a while, and it's not going to be simply a smooth, uh, you know, a, 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 even a sloped V-shaped recovery, so to speak. It, it, there there are going to be uh, more negative impacts. And one of the things we haven't seen in the news as much lately is the uh, <clears throat> talk about the eviction crisis. And I know that is still slowly unrolling, and we are going to be seeing consequences of that for years to come. Quick story, quick headline from Daily Mail, Mail Online. Pfizer's CEO sold 60% of his stock for $5.6 million the day of the vaccine announcement. Confirmed claims it was all part of a pre-announced trading plan in August. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have more information about this. We're going to come back to this story. But, uh, yeah, shocking, right? There are corporate profiteers taking advantage of the situation. And, you know, one other thing that's being left out of the fear-mongering right now is <gasps> ventilators, you know, and, and you just, any historical perspective, any you know, really producer or uh, propagandist, rather, take advantage of this to, um, okay, guys, you're really overwhelming me in the producer's club here. If you don't want me to read it on the air during the show, don't put it in there. Put it in the Bullshitters Anonymous chat. All right. Uh, they, they are really using the fact that most news consumers have a short-term memory and won't be able to even put the pieces. They have politicians get away with lying and changing their positions from, from month to month or from before the election to after the election, right? And then we get the campaign uh, promises phenomena. So we've got some more headlines that, 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 that we could pick apart to this today. Uh, we are going to do another headline block after, uh, after the um, – after the uh, guest, but I was yeah, I was just looking at uh, yeah, I was looking at the watching the producers yet. Is the guest ready? Is the guest ready? All right. So just uh, just a couple here to wrap up uh, the Corona block because because this is important. 
U.S. hits record COVID-19 hospitalizations among virus surge. Uh, you know, not going to take the time to pick that apart today. They are demonizing uh, bars, restaurants, and gyms. This is the Wall Street Journal headline. New York sets curfew for bars, restaurants, gyms as COVID-19 cases rise. Statewide curfew takes effect Friday at 10 p.m. Governor Cuomo says gatherings uh, at private residences will be limited to 10 people. And they're, 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 like just, just think about this for just a second. Just a second. It's like Walmart saying, you know, everybody has to come through this one entrance as opposed to, you know, multiple entrances and stay spread out. Same thing with the time. Like the virus just goes to bed at 10 o'clock and we have to, we have to respect the virus's bedtime or the virus only comes out after 10 o'clock. Is there, is there any science behind this? No, what you're doing is if you, if you put in a curfew at 10 o'clock, instead of having every, all the human activity that would take place that day after 10 o'clock being spread out over the evening, it's like forcing everybody to rush and get to stores before they close or bars for last call or whatever it is. I don't know if bars are going to be allowed, you know, or under, under what conditions allowed open in New York City. But just think, think about this for a second. They're doing some things in their policy that you just know with a little critical examination that this is going to make the virus worse, if anything. Anyway, the, the, the where we're going with this, Ticketmaster may verify Corona vaccination before allowing entry is the headline from Newsmax. So, you know, a lot of people are raising the specter of forced vaccinations. I don't think it's going to get to that, but there are going to be mechanisms of coercion in the sense that you're going to be shut out if you don't have the vaccination. Is it coercive directly? No, but in all the ways that these institutions are supported by tax dollars and corporatism, Ticketmaster is not the best example of this. But what if you're not allowed to go to court in person uh, if you don't have proof that you've gotten the vaccine? Or uh, to drive, perhaps, because you couldn't go to the DMV. There are going to be a lot of things like that where they're going to – because I don't think they're going to want to say we got forced vaccinations. But they're going to do everything they can without giving us that talking point to coerce people into taking vaccinations. The fear-mongering continues. CNBC has this headline, U.S. prepares for worst four months of the pandemic as it stares down the darkest days yet. The next one from uh, LA Times via Yahoo.com, a winter surge in COVID-19 cases seems inevitable. Can we stop it? Uh, and, and this is like the, just the fear-mongering language about this. If you're not triggered by it in the sense that, like, your bullshit detector goes off, you got to learn how to read between the lines. And sadly, there are a lot of people who aren't. Uh, the last thing I'll share here is the health data, COVID-19.healthdata.org is putting out projections that the death toll is going to get to 400,000 in the United States. Big, scary number from the people who brought you all of the bullshit over projections that got us to this point. More fear-mongering. And now we have a major shift in the focus of the show to get to our guest today. Our next guest is... Someone I, I've been looking forward to having on the show for a long time. Uh, Elijah John Gitzarelli is not just the former campaign manager for Kokesh 2020, uh, but a fellow veteran, uh, a, a libertarian activist, and uh, someone who I, I, you know, not just in the work that he, I, I almost respect him more for not being like, slavishly devoted to Adam Kokesh <laughs> because he actually has 
a, a you know a, a wide range of things that he's active and involved in and paying attention to. He's uh, an Army veteran himself, and you know for today's show we, we want to focus on his experience with the Joe Jorgensen campaign. Do a little AAR report on uh, what's going on uh, or, or you know what what we learned from the election 2020 overall. Because uh, because for libertarians we don't we're not going to learn much more from seeing this fight play out. But we have a lot to celebrate. We have a lot of positives to take away. We have a lot to learn. And Elijah is is just the guy to help us get that perspective and, and understand what happened. Uh, and uh, Elijah, whatever else you want to get into today, I'm of course happy if you if, if you want to change the subject to, to comment on anything you think is more important. For Elijah, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. How you doing, brother? Hey, how you doing? Uh, you guys can hear me all right, right? Got you, Charlie. Yeah, this is a new headset I got just for this show. So yes. super, super high tech now. Um, Happy day weird. after Veterans Day. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. I got thanks for my service a bunch of times. Yo, since COVID, they let you pick up your meal and take it out. And so I was like, man, I wish I knew that ahead of time because I would have, like, ordered, like, 50 meals and then delivered it to homeless people and made, like, a video about it. Yeah. <laughs> A veteran freaks Applebee's into helping the homeless. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, right. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so uh, it's been an exciting election cycle. You know, it's funny. When people ask me about, like, my relationship with you or whatever, um, I always say it's like I'm not an Adam Kokesh fanboy. I'm a get shit done fanboy, and Adam Kokesh gets shit done. So um, that's kind of my take on it. If you have a project worth working on, I'll work on it with you. Um, by the way, Elijah, I got I got to just repeat something from earlier in the show really quickly. We got the seed funding for Homefront Battle Buddies today, uh, yesterday, uh, a little Happy Veterans Day for myself. And I really want to put this in the interview so you know, but and anybody who, who watches or just hears the interview with you and didn't hear my longer explanation at the beginning of the show, but we are starting a veteran service organization for veterans who are not comfortable for whatever reason seeking uh, treatment from government programs and facilities and to yeah. provide an alternative space for talk and other alternative therapies uh, with retreats, possibly here in Gardenia. So I hope oh, I know we'll talk about that after the show, but I just had, had to get that in there. If anybody wants to get involved with this again, email me, please, adam at thefreedomline.com. Nice. Is that with uh, Adam House? He's doing that with them? Uh, yes. Adam House is one of the, uh, I, I, we don't know what his, his involvement is going to be. Uh, another Afghanistan vet. A uh, great dude, and uh, he was definitely critical in the development of this. Uh, mm-hmm. But Stephen McClure is, is heading up this project, uh, Navy mm-hmm. uh, Afghanistan Bronze Star combat veteran who was been uh, has been doing as a pastor church COVID civil disobedience in Georgia. Oh yeah, he's facing life in prison for that, right? No, 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 not at this point. I think he's I think he's no, out of okay. But yeah, at one point, they, <laughs> at one point, I, they, they threw all sorts of silly charges at him. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess we're going to switch focus over to the Jorgensen campaign. Um, well, yeah, and, and if you could start, I, I mean, maybe maybe before, one one more thing before we get into, or two more quick things in sort of in terms okay. of introduction before this. One, you, you know, your three-sentence military resume and, and maybe, uh, you know, enough understanding of your libertarian, uh, your, your history as a libertarian to, to give us a sense of what led you to the Jorgensen campaign. Cool. You know, it's it's funny because uh, since I've become a libertarian um, and a voluntarist, it's like I look back on my old self 
And I always, I think like, oh, what a wretch. That person didn't know anything they were talking about. But recently, um, like, because, like, I was kind of a neocon, joined the Army. Um, and I, and people always ask me, why'd you join the Army? And I always say, I was a victim of propaganda. But not really, as it turns out, because recently I came across the photo of me swearing into the Army. And I wore my KISS Army t-shirt that day on purpose, because it was like I was swearing into the KISS Army. Yeah, I don't okay. understand right. my whole mentality about that. But to me, it was like, no, 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 I'm not swearing allegiance to the United States Army. That's never going to happen. Like, that was in my head. Um, so I honestly don't even remember what my thought process was entirely. And that's kind of scary to think about. But well, yeah. <laughs> Elijah, on that point, that's, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. Because if I may, you know, I was, I was a libertarian, although I might say now libertarian in name only, when I enlisted. Yeah. And it... it, it they don't care if you had reservations <laughs> as long as you sign up yeah. and you go through the motions and put on the uniform and show up to work every day and be another body for the war machine. As long if, and, and, and it's worth pointing out that a lot of people in the military, especially in the process of trying, do have uh, legitimate reservations and, and, and ethical problems. And you know, a big part of our message is just, you should have listened to those, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, that's the thing is it's kind of weird because, like, I'm looking back on it and I was like, I wasn't so, like, bought into the propaganda as I thought I was, right? Obviously, if I did something like that. And I remember doing it. Like, I remember wearing that shirt that day on purpose. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, but I, so I've always had kind of this contrarian air about me, and I, I always tell people, like, uh, in order to be a libertarian, you have to be really disagreeable, which is typically not a good social trait, right? Because you, you have to look at things that people say like, oh, well, we have to close all the bars at 10 o'clock and be like, well, that's stupid. And everybody's like, oh, but we have to because of COVID. You're like, no, 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 but that's stupid, right? Like, and that, that's how you become a libertarian is you see a bunch of stupid stuff that everybody just yeah. casually accepts. And you're the disagreeable person in the room being like, fuck this. This is stupid right and uh it's pretty rare to find an agreeable libertarian right and well, i always agree, like to, agreeable to passively accepting the injustices of the world but you're right that there's a there's a better way of going about it well, just as a personality trait right there's disagreeable people and agreeable people disagreeable people are way less likely to go along to get along Whereas hold, on, agreeable, hold, on, hold on stop i really have to yeah. stop you there to challenge one thing you said there linguistically i think you'll agree that yeah. this is important it's not that there are agreeable and disagreeable people, but behaviors and behavioral patterns, more importantly. Mm. And that libertarianism can lead people to behavioral or conversational patterns that, that aren't reflective of their true personalities because in, they, they're tricked into the political paradigm of debate and, and disagreement. And in the political realm, we're, we're the ones going... Hey, that's messed up. Can we do something about that? And you can't avoid the, hey, we're pointing out that something is wrong part of it. Well, actually, all right, I actually think it's in reverse there. Um, and this is interesting. I wasn't expecting to talk about this today. But <laughs> um, so, like, uh, I think that being disagreeable is kind of like an uh, inherent personality trait. I mean, you might be born with it. It might be nurture versus nature. Who knows, right? But, like, I think that it's something that kind of gets seeded in us at a very young age. Where it's okay, like, even if that's true, and well, I don't well, want to debate that bigger issue, people go in and out of phases of being more or less agreeable. It fluctuates. Well, yeah, you can be more agreeable and less agreeable, depending, right? 
but what I, the point I just wanted to make with the disagreeability thing is like um, disagreeable people are much more likely to find libertarianism because mm. we go we're more likely to go against the system, right? Um, okay. And if somebody is born like, and that's why most libertarians are disagreeable, is because they found libertarianism even though everybody told them libertarianism is stupid and this is the way to do it. They never went along to get along to get here. Right? right, they went against the grain, which would be more socially acceptable. And I always like to point out that Avins O'Brien is like one of the only agreeable libertarians. And you can tell because people like agreeable people, right? And you anytime know, you go to an event I, with Avins, I'm at least agreeable enough to have your support. I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anytime you go to an event with Avins O'Brien, everybody just flocks to her. Like she's like she's like a light in everybody's mouths, like because everybody is just soaking up her positive, agreeable energy. It's really cool because she was born a libertarian. Like yes. her parents are both libertarians. A rare second generation American yeah. libertarian. <laughs> so, um, but we'll have more of those as we move forward. Um, so basically, yeah. So I joined the army. Um, I guess I was a victim of some propaganda at some point, and. Um, and while I was in the army, I, uh, you know, I was a ling- uh, I was a cryptologic linguist, so I translate French and Arabic. I worked for the NSA doing counterterrorism. Um, if you don't know what the NSA is, it's the only branch of government that actually listens to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so uh, while I was doing that, I was a sergeant in the army. I was working doing counterterrorism. I start paying attention to politics and. Um, and because my mom was like, she'd been living her whole life in poverty, right? And she was a smart, intelligent person who worked really hard. And to me, that was just like wrong. I was like, that doesn't make sense. If you work hard and you're smart, you shouldn't live in poverty. What's going on here, right? So I start looking more into economics, um, which turned out to be way less arcane than the news media had told me before. It's actually mm-hmm. very simple. Um, you know, I start That's looking into... Yep. Yeah, I gotta highlight that. I don't think we talk about that enough as libertarians, but like dispelling this mythology that economics is some realm of academics and stock traders, but it's a yeah. really simple <laughs> way of uh, just economics, of, of studying the flow of value in, among human beings. Like it's yeah. not, and, and, and really basic principles that everyone can understand and apply. And, and that really does help de- demystify. The, the government racket centered around fiat currency. And you just throw out a few of these terms, and if you haven't taken the time to understand them, it might sound like a foreign language, but, I mean, you learn about, you know, 30, 40 economic terms, and that's about as far as you need to go to have a, a practical understanding of economics. Yeah, yeah you need to be more to just learn the definitions, but, you know, like, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not some complicated, dismal science, as they would have you Yeah, do. you'll get better at economics faster than you'll get better at fixing your own car. Um, so, um, but the point is, it's like, um, you know, I start looking into that and I was like, wow, this is actually really simple. It's not some like arcane knowledge that only like the authorities have control over, you know? And then, um, and then I start watching the, the political debates, um, specifically the Republican, um, primary, um, in 2011 and, uh, Ron Paul just, I was kind of probably already pointed in that direction. Um, but Ron Paul just was the only person who made sense. And from there, it took about, I don't know, maybe four months, and I was a full-blown voluntarist. Uh, <laughs> so um, that, that escalated really quickly. But then I got really scared because I was in the Army, 
and I was working for the NSA as like a sergeant, and yeah. I was like, I was like, oh no, nobody can find out. But then I started <laughs> saying stuff out loud, and it turned out nobody really cared as long as I did my job, and I did my job really well. So, um, so people used to joke they'd be like, they'd see me around new soldiers, and they'd be like, oh, listen, like my platoon sergeant, he'd like run over and be like, Sergeant Gizzarelli knows everything there is to know about the army. Anything outside of the army, don't listen to him. He's crazy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was like this big joke. Um, yeah, I also used I, to I had joke. Bit, I had yeah. less, less poignantly than being sort of undercover libertarian. <laughs> than uh, I had a bit of the same dynamic when I, I was singing Tom Lehrer songs in Iraq. Like, uh, when someone makes a move of which we don't approve, who is it that always intervenes? You win an OAS. They have their place, I guess. But first, send the Marines. Oh, I'll stop. Nice. Uh, but yeah, it's, <laughs> but the, I, it's really like everybody has, you know, it, I think well, a lot of people in the system have that sense of, ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm the rebel here. And yeah, I mean, like, well, I used to like, like, so like one is I, I cleared off like, you're, like you're uh, four straight desks <laughs> and, and displayed a giant Ron Paul revolution banner on it at the NSA office. <laughs> and I that lasted. You got some props for it. You got some, you yeah. got some high fives and handshakes, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that lasted about like, I don't know, maybe six hours before I was forced to take it down. But then, like, I was like, well, that's not fair. Everybody has all this Obama stuff up, and they were like, well, he's the commander-in-chief. And I was like, he's a politician running for office. Like, and so uh, and so they were like, fine, but you can't do anything like that. Like, nobody has, like, giant Obama signs. And I was like, okay, fine. But I noticed a lot of people, like, were just displaying Obama's books. And so I literally bought a library of Ron Paul books, like, I had like I probably bought like twenty Liberty Defines. I bought like uh, the Revolution Manifesto, and I just had them displayed right next to me. And people would walk by all day and be like, "Can I take this?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, take it." <laughs> <laughs> and so it was the local Ron Paul uh, book dispensary. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. After I got out of the army. Um, I decided I wanted to be the best advocate for liberty, for liberty that I could be. So I took on a door-to-door sales position. Uh, didn't get paid hourly, only commissions. So you, uh, you eat what you kill. And um, not to offend any vegetarians out there. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, uh, I did that for three years. Um, and the whole time I was there, I was learning sales, and I was trying to apply that to discussing ideas with people. And I've used that to carry forward into politics, and I feel like it served me very well. In fact, Spike Cohen, I find out, I found out after he got nominated, actually spent um, years doing sales as well, and basically did the same thing I did. And I really appreciate the way he communicates liberty to people because he actually uses sales tactics to do it. So jumping ahead, Elijah. If you could just quickly, specifically, how did that lead to getting involved with my campaign, which I think answers the question, how did you get involved with Jorgensen? Well, actually, this is a, this is a great point, actually, because I had kind of stayed out of the Libertarian Party because it seemed like like really big and official. Um, and I thought, like, oh, I, yeah, right. yes. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I thought that there were people, uh, I thought that there were people with degrees and stuff that, like, had charts, 
No. <laughs> Nobody has charts. <laughs> All those candidates. <laughs> No, right. So, so I kind of like, yeah, I had kind of like stayed out of that. Well, I knew ballot access was an issue, but I thought it was like a much like higher issue. Like I didn't really just needed a clipboard to solve it. Like, um, but I digress. So, um, and yeah, well, you, just, stayed, you didn't realize how accessible it is, and, and I got to intervene just with a quick plug yeah. for Libertarian Party activism. And, you know, you, you can go to Republican and Democrat meetings to get a sense of the competition. Uh, but when you go to a Libertarian Party meeting, I mean, if you, the, the, the biggest risk is that if you go to the bathroom and, and come back, they'll have made you an officer. You know, like, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's way more accessible. And I, and I want to say this not just about Libertarian activism, but activism in general. There are a lot of things that we get a false impression of being inaccessible or a lot more than they are. Uh, and, and it's not just that the Libertarian Party is, uh, you know, disorganized and underfunded, which is not true. I mean, well, uh, yeah, you know, compared to what we need to be to accomplish our mission, I would say we're – I wouldn't you – know, when you're, you know, 20% of the way to your goal, you wouldn't say you're deficient in getting to your goal. You're just on your way. So you could look at that and say we're, we're disorganized and underfunded, but it's that we're not just at that lower level compared to the other parties still. We don't have that – Corporate power keeping people out, and we have infiltrators. Don't worry, but uh, it really—you show up. Any individual with a little time and effort can be a major player, and not a major player. You can be a significant player in, in, in politics, and certainly in the Libertarian Party. Yeah, I mean, um, and so like that, that was kind of my thing was like, wow, that's that's like I don't have a college degree. Maybe I'll go to college for political science, and then I'll try to involve myself in the Libertarian Party. You know, and then um, I randomly saw a um, saw an ad for your event here in Providence, which wasn't Providence at all, but I won't get into that. Anyway, um, <laughs> for uh, for your event. Oh, Elijah just, has a bad case of status pride for Rhode Island, but it's, it's, it's not well status pride. I have pride in Rhode Island's history because we were an anarchy for years. A functional anarchy. It was fantastic. And, and they're the greatest resistors of the coup of the Constitution against the Articles of Confederation. Yeah, exactly. We didn't even show up to the Constitutional Convention. We were like, screw that. Like, that's a scam. And we were right. And, like, like there's some really cool stuff. I want to tangent into Rhode Island Thanks history. Do your own research. You, you yeah, know I'll go on for, like, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, anyway, like, um... So I and saw when, this when you saw this ad for the event for for this was on one of our pre tours for the campaign. Yeah. What, was, what was your prior knowledge about me? Well, I had um I think I start watching Adam versus the Man probably while it was still on air. I'm not sure. Um, on it was air, air, you mean on cable? <laughs> yeah. Um, like so, I'm not sure exactly. It was like 2010, 2011 ish. I kind of like discovered you i don't know when was the it was i probably discovered you from the uh jefferson memorial dance i don't know when that was but um so it was probably around then i uh 2011, 2011 yeah so um that lines up so i i've been following you on social media like the whole time and i hadn't heard from you since like since basically you went to prison and, um, and, and this is the important takeaway for our audience here is that this is the effect of shadow banning is that they, they let you 
getting someone's fee, and this is, it's a fraud. It is You can't make a private property defense because it is fundamentally fraudulent, and their corporate is supported by government with IP and some of their corporate policies. But one of the things that, it, that, that it, I mean, it breaks my heart, not just to see the numbers being manipulated the way that they are, but the reality being manipulated when you subscribe to my channel wherever you're subscribing to or following me, and uh, you, you wait for YouTube to send you an alert when I do a video, and then they just stop doing the alerts. And unless you're really active and engaged, uh, that's that's what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to slip me out of your feed, uh, you know, and, and anything else that's important and meaningful or, or going to lead to positive change. So it's it's tragic. But I hear it like we had been preparing for this tour. We've been doing everything we could to promote it, and then it was like Elijah looks back and goes, "Whoa! I just had this like gap in my." You know, my consumption of Adam versus the man, you know, where I, I just didn't realize that I, it was being kept from me. Yeah, I had no idea that you had written the book Freedom. What, you wrote that in 2012, right? 14. So, like, 14? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, like, yeah, that that was a good at least three or four years. I literally didn't hear about from you at all. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, Elijah, I just want to point out one more thing. This isn't unique to me. No, I understand. It is, and, but here's, I want to make this point because nobody ever talks about this. Yeah, it's terrible that YouTube and Facebook censor us and demonetize us and that kind of thing. But I mean, it is like, sure, we can look at the world and I could actually make a much stronger case for fraud, by the way, in the cases of YouTube, especially. Um, uh, YouTubers helped build their platform and then. Yeah. And, and then they took it away I mean, from there's them. Two there's there, in, in yeah. two, two categories of fraud with YouTube: one against creators, and two against viewers. Yeah, and but what I would say is like is like, look, we can all say how much it isn't right, and I'm not saying that we should ignore those issues at all. But as human beings, the best thing that we can do is change with our environment. We've observed their behavior. And now it is the onus is on us to act accordingly to our observations. Guess what? I saw your ad to go to your thing, and how much have I helped you over the years, right? Like, yeah. because you paid Facebook for ads. Pay Facebook. Pay YouTube. I don't know how you can pay YouTube. I don't know how that works. But, like, it is what you got to do. Like, you well, got to... There are different ways. You can advertise. Yeah, you like, don't that. abandon Facebook. It doesn't work. We tried that, right? Like, it, it's... You're really just censoring yourself at that point. Just give them a little bit of money. It isn't like you have to pay them tons of money, but if you give them a little bit of money, I, they I don't put your like, stuff in front of people. I'm not going to get sidebar on this, because I don't know if that's mm. the answer, is to give Facebook money. I'm definitely not sold on that, but we are, we yeah. are examining <laughs> with Adam versus the man. I hope now that the election is over, we can get some of your... Uh, intellectual uh, to this challenge and be a part of the conversation with our, our core team. But yeah, all the ways that we have to work around the censorship right now are, are you know, really, really, uh, it, it's, it's a real important yeah. challenge to, to face up to. Uh, but uh, in terms of changing with the environment, you, uh, you know, by the way, I don't want to, I don't want to get too sideboard on, uh, you know, why you supported Kokesh 2020, but you were, you know, an incredible campaign manager. Uh, as someone whose who's only weakness was lack of specific background, but you were you or, you know or in, in but you you stepped up, uh, and I was absolutely satisfied in in every way with your performance as a campaign manager for Thank a uh, libertarian primary presidential race, and uh, there's you know I, I, I've 
I'm really looking forward. I, I hope you'll be our manager for 2024. We don't have to, I don't want to get sidebar with this either, but I'm, I know that you are still fundamentally in support of the message of localization for what it means strategically for the party and for freedom itself as, as a way of moving humanity forward. But when you saw that the Libertarian Party didn't want to nominate me, the environment changed, and the greater opportunity was in supporting Dr. Joe Jorgensen over this 2020 cycle in order to spread the message and build the movement. So tell us just quickly then, what what led you to do that? You know, what, what was the exact story of, hey, the convention ended online, we saw that Jorgensen was our nominee, what happened to well, you? From, what, what's your story from that point? I, I think it depends on how you view the Libertarian Party, right? As most things, I view things as a tool, right? The Libertarian Party is a tool, and it is one of the, the best tools or having conversations about libertarianism. Now, I may be a voluntarist, right? I may not want any president at all. But in most cases, I think it behooves any kind of person that's looking to spread libertarianism or um, voluntarism to help out such candidacies. The presidential campaign is great because you can have that conversation with anybody across America, and even internationally. Like, well, you know this person's running for president, and then you start can then you can kind of branch out into the ideas. Somebody like Gary Johnson, even um, I had the conversation. I took I took the opportunity right of him not being libertarian enough to spread libertarianism during his presidential campaign. So like, like I'd be like, oh yeah, you like? And I was like, well, do you see him on Bill Maher? And people would be like, yeah, 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 I saw him on Bill Maher. I was like, see, I had a real problem with that because like. Like, I like Gary Johnson. He's, like, a good libertarian, but he's not very libertarian. Because a, li- a, a, a real libertarian would have said, no, I want to legalize all the drugs, and here's why. Right? right? And instead he said, just legalize marijuana. And so you can take these opportunities, like, talking about it. Right? And so by spreading Joe Jorgensen, uh, Joe Jorgensen's campaign, regardless of even what she's saying, although she had a great, great messaging throughout her campaign, um, you can use that just the fact that she's running for president as an excuse to spread the ideas of liberty. Yeah. Don't let me forget in a little bit to ask about your thoughts on the outcome. We're going to get to your yeah. take on how many votes were stolen from <laughs> the Libertarian Party presidential candidate this year. But I, I want to help uh, people understand a little bit more about the, the, that point you made in terms of the value of Joe Jorgensen as our nominee, because I said from the beginning, you know, I mean, you remember early in the campaign when it was uh, basically at one point me versus Weld versus uh, uh, Hornberger, and I said if if we end up with a Jacob Hornberger instead of Bill Weld as the nominee as a result of my campaign, but I don't get the nomination, I will be very very happy. That, I, that, I, that we and the reason is even though it's possible and I, and I believe that there could have been other strategic things that would have had us uh, get a breakthrough in percentage but you know if you believe the current government numbers and I obviously mm. don't <laughs> <laughs> Joe Jordan's have got this many votes no <laughs> no no I don't believe yeah. that it's the COVID numbers right now <laughs> but uh, when, when you uh, think about even what that represents you know if, if you say a million people voted for Gary Johnson because they voted for a two term former Republican governor because they, they hated Trump or Clinton that's much less significant than people saying I voted for Joe Jorgensen because uh, I support a principled, ethical 
message in politics. And that is, is, is way more valuable. I, I think, you know, this is a little bit subjective and I'm not, cause I'm not saying that Gary, you know, that, that supporting Gary was counterproductive or didn't have any significant value. It had lots of value just promoting the word libertarian and the party. And it's not like he was, you know, radically, I, I, yeah, I have the same bones to pick with his statism, but, you know, he wasn't radically representing, he was representing a, a huge move towards libertarianism, at least politically, no doubt. But I would say that, you know, in terms of the score, if you care, uh, a vote for Jorgensen is worth two votes for Gary Johnson. I mean, in, in terms of long-term value to the movement. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on what you think of success, right? And uh, and we tried fishing it out during debates and stuff, uh, <laughs> trying to, like, point out Joe's weakness, whereas, like, it seemed like she wasn't going to win. Like, she wasn't, like, running the campaign to win. It seemed, like, she even said during the debates, like, her main thing is she wants to increase membership, right? Um, like, she said that many, many times. Um, and it's like, okay, so if your goal isn't, like, hard vote total, first off, I would point out that she had the best uh, dollar-per-vote um, ratio yep. in LP history, right? That's a big deal. She raised about as much money as Gary Johnson did in 2012, and she got a lot more votes. I think like 50% more votes than he did. Um, and, uh, and so that's a really, really big deal. Um, so really she got the most, and also she received the most votes of any libertarian politician that didn't sell out to Bill Wells. So there's <laughs> that. <laughs> nice I, distinction. Well, yeah. all right. we're going to, yeah. I want, we're going to take the time and, and come back to, uh, some of that, that, that actual AAR after action report, oh, okay. uh, part of the conversation. Uh, but first I want to tell the audience, we are going to be taking questions for Elijah a, 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 in a few minutes here. So if you want, please put them in the comments, wherever you're watching this and comment Jim Freedom, we'll get them on screen here. And I'm maybe in like five, 10 minutes, but Elijah, I want to go back to, uh, your role in the campaign. Give us the sort of nuts and bolts of your story and your involvement. Roger. Uh, so, uh, I had actually, I really liked Joe um, on the campaign trail. Um, I think I met her at the California um, convention. Um, and I, you know, at first I, I did not like her messaging. I thought it was really weak. And I actually think, Adam, you did a great job calling her out about the sex work thing. Um, it really, it was like an iron sharpens iron kind of thing. It made her a better candidate to go out. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and then, I'm, like, I, I'm, I'm very satisfied with the effect in that sense of the effort that we put into the campaign for, for having that effect on, on other candidates and, and at least showing them at least certain things like that. Was, I, I think she fun. learned the valuable lesson that it does us no service to hide our beliefs. Yeah, right? it, was like, a fun, it was a fun moment. This was uh, this was Georgia's convention. No, not Georgia. South Carolina. Convention? South Carolina, thank you. The debate, uh, the, both the forum at the, at the state convention beforehand mm -hmm. And uh, at the debate, uh, and it was, it was, I, I think she, I think she kind of took it as like, oh, you know, this is, this is Adam's attack on me. And he's going, and it's like, no, it's like pretty topical. Like sex work is work. That That's a pretty irrefutable policy initiative and ethical perspective of libertarianism that she was a little shy of or really didn't know how to present. 
And by challenging her on that, I think she improved her message and, and everything you said. Yeah. Thank you. And she carried it throughout. Like, even going to the general election stuff, like, you would think, like, during the nomination process, should should, like, maybe be a little bit more radical and then, like, tone it down in the general election. It was almost just the opposite. She got more radical in the general election. Like, she openly talked about ending the ATF. Like, that came out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> it was like a main, no, was like no, a main no, campaign no. Where she got that idea for muscle legends? Oh, is that like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not saying that the idea came out of nowhere. I'm saying that, like, I didn't expect that to be, like, a main point of her campaign. Like, um, she talked about it all the time. She talked about... Uh, I, I really loved her messaging on healthcare, though. I felt like that was probably her biggest contribution throughout the the whole thing to libertarianism. Is the way she talked about healthcare is exactly how libertarians should talk to people about healthcare. Mm. Um, and it's usually a topic that libertarians are messed on, and she was perfect. Um, okay, get us get us to the nitty gritty. Okay, here. so, I, anyway, so I really I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed when I met Joe in person. I thought she was a really nice person. I thought she was really cool. Um, she was really fun. Like, she, she kind of seemed stuffy to me before I met her in person, but she was, like, really kind of fun, uh, you know, lighthearted. I, I, I met Steve Dosbach, her campaign manager in Florida. We had a really Great good team. conversation. Yeah. Uh, I kind of, like, built those relationships throughout the campaign trail, seeing them at different places. I'd go up and talk. And she was by far my number two choice. Uh, yeah. outside of you, I thought that you were a better candidate based off of name recognition. Um, and I think that you're a better public speaker as well. Um, well, the main thing you, I think we would agree is that our advantage was a messaging policy strategy of localization. Yeah. And then localization was the next thing I was going to say. I, localization. I happen, to be, I happen to just be a barely credible, barely sufficiently <laughs> credible and capable candidate to bear this message, certainly not the best possible. And I, 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 I can't let you say something like that without reminding everybody that that is always going to be true about this campaign, that if someone comes up with a better localization platform, I might adopt it, you know, better actual policy strategy for dissolving the federal government, or if a more capable candidate for advancing this message or getting the American people to uh, adopt it uh, comes along, I, I would drop out and run for VP and hope to be their running mate. I, I have uh, no effective ego attachment to this. I think Elijah can attest to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you've always said that, actually. Um, in fact, even when uh, I start working on the campaign, you made it abundantly clear. You're like, I expect loyalty, but not to me, to this, like, to liberty, like, Always strategy, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but anyway, yeah, localization, I think, is the best strategy forward. I'm actually kind of, in a way, and I don't want to, like, I'm kind of glad that we didn't win this time around. Um, I think that we might have gotten better results, possibly. But in COVID America, I think localization kind of becomes very confusing because it was the governors that locked down their states. And um, and so I'm kind of glad that if we do win in 2024 or when we do take localization nationally eventually, even if it's not you as the candidate, like it will have a kind of a more fresh, um, non-convoluted like entry into American politics as opposed to um, 
to what it would have been with COVID. Okay, stop, stop liking my message so much and yeah. tell us about what you did with the Jorgensen campaign already. Oh, yeah, so I just kind of <laughs> I got involved. I let them know that I was interested in helping them out any way that I can. They offered me a regional field director spot, which is um, I was basically in charge of um, the states of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Maryland, and Delaware. Um, and it was my job to just kind of organize the volunteers in that area, put together the state teams. And, uh, and it was kind of really fun because they were very hands-off compared to the Gary Johnson campaigns where, like, Republicans, like, basically ran or old Republicans ran, like, uh, the, the campaign. They were like, look, just don't burn Trump in effigy and do whatever you want. And I was like, cool. <laughs> um, so that was really fun, uh, kind of building up ground-up teams. Um, and that's what we did. And, and each state kind of took on his own personality as a campaign. And that was kind of fun to see. Um, and that's what we did. We, uh, we did ground-up efforts, and different states worked on different strengths. And uh, we the, the main purpose, though, was to get – people on the local level involved with their local LP um, and get involved in spreading the libertarianism in general. And uh, that part of the campaign has been undersung and it really deserves a lot of praise because mm. right now I don't, I'm talking to a lot of state, uh, you know, state chairs and state leader party leadership and, uh, and they've never seen, people so excited after a presidential election before um people are really fired up and it's really looking like we're mm -hmm. going to have a strong um libertarian party moving forward um so that, that's really exciting to see so i want to ask uh, bigger questions to to to, to give this conversation mm -hmm. a sense of completeness of you know, how effective was the campaign? What, you know, what's your, your takeaway and, you know, what lessons learned is, is, is the conclusion of the AAR. Uh, but before we do that, I, I do want to take questions from the audience. So get those into your comments right now. And just, Elijah, one, one thing real quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to hear that that's your take on the momentum that we have coming out yeah. of this. And it would suggest that, uh, that, that the campaign overall was successful in that membership drive aspect. And of course, one way, I, I don't know the numbers on this. Do you, do you have, if you have the numbers on, on, on that, you know, for membership, you know, relative historically over this period, that would be great to share. Um, but again, it would be something of, of subjective interpretation. And, mm -hmm. you, know, I, I, you know, general, in, the way you said it is more important of that general momentum and, and, and sort of spirit and, and, and energy and resources in, in the party and the movement. Uh, but you would look at fundraising and actual membership numbers as sort of general indicators of that. So how do you think the campaign did on on that uh, or on those 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 the big metrics related to that? Then we'll do questions and then and then see as much time as you need to feel uh, to right. answer those bigger questions. So um, look, I don't want to turn this into too much of a love fest, right? Um, to be honest, like I was a little disappointed in our vote total. And again, uh, we can. If you believe the number. If you believe the numbers, again, at one point it said that um, Joe Jorgensen had 84,000 votes in Pennsylvania, and it dropped down to 50,000. And I think right now her vote total is like 78,000 or something. And it's like, but wait, like, <laughs> what, 
Why would you it's ever put 84? Parties, they just get chunks of votes added and never subtracted, right? It's, yeah, but our, our vote total literally went down, and it was just like, what? It happened right, twice in Pennsylvania, right, so just, by the way. I, I don't um, want to get too sidebarred on this, but yeah, let, me, so, let, me, let me ask you this one question, see if you can put a number on it, because what's, yeah. what's the national report now, like 1.1%? Is that still? 1.2% is the... Uh, oh, okay. They conceded yeah. a tenth of a percent, you know, uh, so that we can't just say it all went straight down, right? <laughs> but obviously she was falling a lot higher than this, and from everything, even in, in a rational conservative analysis, we would have expected uh, at least a lot closer to Gary's 3.28 percent. This number's not really credible. Uh, I, I don't want to be I'm, – I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, we won and it was stolen from us, you know, like, no. Mm. But, yeah. you know, I, I, it would be believable to me that – Jorgensen got maybe even as much as 8% and, and that it was stolen down from that. Like, that seems like, you know, obviously kind of a bell curve. Yeah, if she got 8%, here, if she got 8%, I would have to believe that they've done it a lot in the past as well. Um, I, I don't yeah. know, like, I can yeah. see, I can see states cheating it. And so, like, this is my thing with Pennsylvania, right? And I was the regional field director for Pennsylvania, so I, I particularly was paying attention on election night, right? Um, she went from 24,000 votes down to 7,000 at one point because she was at 5% of the vote, right? Um, and then, and then like, later, she got up to, like, 3%, and then she got dropped down again. And it was because Pennsylvania was a swing state everybody was watching, and they did not want a libertarian to be showing that big of, a, of support in that state. Because everybody in America was going to be seeing that. media to yeah. maintain their credibility without having a red, blue, and a yellow. Yeah, so if we're going to get really conspiratorial about it, I would say that that was really the, the thing, was they didn't want people going to results on Google, looking at the Associate Press thing, clicking on Pennsylvania and saying, wow, yeah. the Libertarian got 4.4% right now? That's crazy, right? Like, yeah. in a swing state, like, they did not want... That and that, that's why I would say nationally, I'm not going to say that they they like systematically took away right. votes. I think it's more of a state by state basis if they were to do it. And I do believe that that's probably what happened in Pennsylvania. So um, yeah, it's it, it's worth uh, pointing out that the votes only get stolen in, in two directions, and neither of them go towards the libertarian. <laughs> but I, I think if if I could. Uh, Sum up your position here. It would, you would believe she probably got somewhere between three to five percent, and it, it's possible hypothetically that she could have gotten eight if this has been. I'm not going to say. Yeah. One other thing I have to point out, you know, about being censored. Being censored is a kind of validation. If you're if you're spreading, I mean, if you're being censored because you're you're flashing your junk to people, you know, hashtag <laughs> bold for was it bold for freedom, uh, bold yeah. for liberty, uh, go, get uh, out for Harambe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, for whatever reason, and there, there, are, there are several different possible motivations, yeah. the mainstream media blocked out Joe Jorgensen at a much more significant level than Gary Johnson. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was a unique challenge that, you know, for whether it was her or her message or the times we live in, whatever it is, and and the media manipulation is is a really critical part of this. Well, all right. What I would say is like to play the and again going back to the three to five percent thing. I'm not saying that at all. Okay, like I'm saying that did they cheat around the margins in certain states? Maybe, um, probably. 
Um, I, I'm, I'd be, I'd be very hesitant to give her like a considerable higher percentage that she got cheated out of. I, I haven't seen the cheat. I'm not Donald Trump. I'm not just going to claim it without like solid evidence. I think that is a serious allegation. Um, would I be interested in if I had the resources, would I try to follow up and do some investigation? Definitely. Right. That said, I'm not going to just be like, oh, she probably got like three or four percent. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But but as far as um, the media thing, yeah, that was clear. Right. And, and you can make arguments. You can say, well, that's what happens when you nominate somebody who doesn't have name recognition nationally. You can say, well, that's what happens if you nominate somebody who has a campaign team that isn't proven that they can get interviews or something. You can say those things. And that's true. But look at the Green Party, right? Howie Hawkins got, like, way less media attention than Jill Stein did. It was a clear and, – and Howie Hawkins, by the way, was told to me, I haven't followed his career, that he was actually a way more legit politician than Jill Stein. That's why I was well, you know, told. I got, to, I got to sit next to him at the multi-party primary debate that mm-hmm. uh, Free Equal held uh, with uh, – thank you, Christina Tobin – uh, in Chicago, and I got to sat, sit next to him uh, on stage, and he's also a Marine Corps veteran, but uh, he, he, great representative of the Green Party, too, for all the things I like and don't like about him, yeah. but he, yeah, he, he really is a, uh, you know, in that inner circle of love-motivated activists who are doing it for the right reason. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. I, I can always, always appreciate when somebody's a genuine person. Right. Um, and even when I disagree with them, like, even if I strongly disagree with them. Right. Um, with that said, like, I was told when Howie Hawkins won the nomination, I was told, oh, my God, the Green Party might beat the Libertarian Party this time. Howie Hawkins, he's totally legit. Now, I never bought into that. Right. But I was told that he was a way better nominee than Jill Stein ever was. And we destroy if you add up, if you look at our results, we got five times the amount of votes that they did across the board, right? Um, and there wasn't the very many. I, I don't want to get too sidebar yeah. on this, I want to bring it back to Jorgensen, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, but, well, this yeah, goes into I, the media attention, though, right? That's fairly important. Is like you brought up the media attention question. And it's like that's what happens when the media does a complete blackout of third parties is you're going to lose votes. It is like not only do less people hear about you, but less people know what you're about. And less people see you as legitimate because even though they know you exist, they didn't see you on any, like, programs that they recognize, right? People can say, well, yeah, Bill Maher invited Gary Johnson on, so he got to be pretty legit, so I can vote for him. But if they're like, well, I know Joe Jorgensen, but... I mean, is she even legit? Like Gary, yeah, Gary was a governor. It, it, hold on, I don't want to get too sidebarred on that, but it's it's great to point out uh, for libertarians to stay aware of that legitimizing and thus delegitimizing effect of the media if they ignore you. But Elijah, mm-hmm. I want to go. I want to go to questions from the audience, but then real quick, just real quick, uh, mm-hmm. thoughts on fundraising and party recruitment membership numbers. Well, membership numbers are way up. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I feel like. Um, we're like close to 30,000 members. I think that's about right. And typically we hover around 15,000 members. Um, so that's pretty good. I think that before the campaign started, to be fair, we were trending up. We were around like, I think, 19 or 20,000. Um, but uh, 
yeah, membership is way up from the campaign. As far as fundraising goes, I'll say it before I'll say it again. Uh, we raised the most money of any libertarian presidential campaign um, outside of the one that sold out to Bill Weld. Um, <laughs> Gary Johnson raised $12.2 million during that campaign, and it's estimated that about $11 million of that came from Bill Weld's Rolodex. So um, it is what it is. Um, okay, so Elijah, I just uh, we're probably going to go over time if, if we take the time wow. to make this complete. I'm really enjoying this. It's a great conversation. If you don't mind going over a few minutes, we'll go to audience questions and then give you as much time as you want to wrap up. And whatever you want to say that's enough for audience questions, uh, we'll cut it. But, you know, see, as long as sure. we have good questions coming from the audience, yeah, you want to keep going? I, I have no, I have nothing to do. Yeah, All good. right, let's do it. All right, to the, to the audience here, let's get them on screen. Thank you. Chris Hogg, who is the better driver of the motorhome? I guess he has to be Elijah. Elijah, do you want to tell them what happened the first time you drove it, the day we picked it up with the rappers? <laughs> that, that wasn't the first day I drove it, to be fair. It was the first time anybody drove it with a rap. But, look, I'm not even sure. I, I'm pretty sure that guy ran into me. Uh, <laughs> if you look at it, he was over the line. But anyway, yeah, I I sideswiped when we fresh when we got it freshly wrapped. Like the corner of somebody's car went right into the letter N on the side. <laughs> yeah, it was thing. a pretty minor thing. They didn't have any damage. No, it, it was. It was yeah. really just like a scrape that we were able to kind of tape up on the wrap. Yeah, but it was it, hilariously it, tragic. Where we're like, we just picked up. The wrapped RV. All right. Yeah, it was like an hour and a half after we picked up the freshly wrapped RV. It was it was rough. With that said, right, I do think I was the better driver here. in general. Um, Ten fifty four writes the dollar to vote ratio might seem a minor point at first glance, but it suggests that what's being sold stands on its own merits. And of course, libertarian principles do just that. So Elijah, to turn this into a question. Hmm. Um, what are your lessons or your takeaways from looking at that dollar-to-vote ratio, uh, both in terms of, of strategy and efficiency? So, look, the, the dollar-to-vote ratio is not a perfect stat by any means. Um, it's interesting. Um, with that said, it could just be that the libertarian, like, even if the campaign did nothing, maybe libertarians a libertarian presidential candidate's baseline is just higher than what it was in the past. Um, that could very well be it. So I, I don't, I don't want to talk about like what, this is what I saw from the campaign that I think created that dollar to vote ratio. They stuck to libertarian mes messaging, like, uh, what was it? 1054, um, said like they stuck to libertarian messaging. Like they were just like, look, this is it. This is what we believe. And I think, that attracted more people. And when you're not, you know, back-talking libertarian or apologizing libertar for libertarianism, I think that you're just going to attract more people with saying less. That being said, we also have Gary Johnson in 2016 got way more free media, which is probably worth tens of millions of dollars in and of itself. So that, that ratio is actually probably a lot stronger when you add in the media blackout of third parties this time around. Um, also, the budgeting for this campaign was actually fantastic, and I'm going to say this publicly. Like, This is what I was told by Steve Dosbach, the campaign manager, what their budgeting plan was. Right? Their budgeting plan was to have uh, payroll to be less than 
and um, to spend at least 50% of all money taken in on advertisements. I think that that's a fantastic plan. I might increase payroll maybe um, after seeing that how many people were really sore that they didn't get a job with the campaign. I was like, oh, maybe there's a reason why we have bigger payrolls in general. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think that that plan in and of itself really contributed to the efficiency of the campaign. Mm. All right, next question is from Fina Benoen, a libertarian candidate from, or at least former as of uh, last week, uh, libertarian, hopefully she's getting ready for the next campaign already. From Hawaii, Fina Benoen writes, I like Mr. Cohen and voted for him as a delegate, but I question if Dr. Joe would have done better with Mr. Mons as VP, who she vocally asked for after she won the nomination. <laughs> so, um, look, I love, I like, uh, I like Spike. I did vote for, I will say this publicly, I voted for John Mons in all of the ballots for VP. Um, I actually told Adam I wasn't going to vote for him in the first one either if Joe won and Joe did win because I thought that they would make an excellent team. I'm, I'm not going to say, like, if, you know, if my aunt had testicles, she'd be my uncle, right? Like, <laughs> we can't really say if, you know, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe John Mons would have had, like, a major blunder during the campaign that Spike didn't. You know, the worst thing that we did was we saw Spike at the beach in his nipple. Like, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, like, we don't, it's hard to say if. Um, with that said, is I was very supportive of John Mons. I, I kind of wish Joe was a little bit more forceful with the recommendation for Mons. Uh, that, and I think that delegates would have listened to her if she were. But at the same time, we were just coming off of getting Bill Weld shoved down our throats. And I think that she was really worried about being the presidential nominee that forces a, you know, a VP down our throats again. So I'm happy with how it turned out. It could have been better. Could have been worse. All right. Next question is from our own co-host, Comet Jim Freedom. Would you consider running for the Libertarian nomination on the localization platform just to increase the amount of candidates vocalizing <laughs> that specific platform? You know, I actually thought about this. And then I thought, you, you know, uh, I think a lot of people would see that as um, as us trying to game the system. <laughs> it would be too obvious that we're working together. Yeah, no, we have, we yeah but, but here's the thing I, is, I, if I, I did it, yeah. We have both a strategic and an ideological interest in getting people onto this message of localization as a, a policy and messaging strategy for achieving a free society and libertarian party success through politics. Uh, so, like, we, we just, if you want to run, you know, on a sovereignty platform locally or whatever measure of autonomy locally or independence, totally supportive of that. If you want to run against me and I end up, Dropping because, like, I would hope that at the at the last minute, uh, you know, if if we have three or four serious localization candidates running for the LP nomination in 2024, you know, <laughs> then we drop to support whoever's in the lead, and and the rest of us then compete for the 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 uh, VP slot. But yeah, like that's 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 what I want to see in uh, both both for strategy reasons and for the ideological reasons of we want this message promoted. 
Yeah, and the reason why I thought about it, by the way, was my first MySpace name was Elijah John Gizzarelli, presidential candidate 2024. Because um, that's the first year I'm allowed to run for president. But um, also was, um, it's like, look, me and Adam actually have very many creative differences when it comes to, um, like, the platform and how things should go down. I don't voice them publicly or whatever, and it's like I still support Adam's platform because it was the best one put forward by a candidate, right? With that said, Adam can attest. I argue with him all the time about things. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And so it's like if I did run, it wouldn't be as like a a Kokesh insider to get two localization candidates. No, it would be because I was like me and Adam couldn't like work out like a plan together in 2024, and I was like, well, you know what? Somebody needs to say this, and I can't find somebody else to, so I would run. Um, exactly my position for myself. I don't – yeah, I, I don't know, like – like, I, I would hope that we can get more people to run on localization. I think it's I think it's important, and if you guys haven't – I'm sure anybody watching this probably has looked into localization is behind it, but localization is a really unique strategy. It was really fun for two and a half years, three years working with Adam. Uh, going around I, talking. I was going to say, we're not working with me. Working with me is fun enough. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I, I hope you were getting at it. This is a yeah. fun message to spread. This yeah, makes you talk. talking about freedom and engaging with people way more fun to say, to, to really in, in policy and in spirit embody the, quote, uh, 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 that, you know, you can, libertarianism says you can be as, uh, liberal or conservative as you want, as long as you don't force it on anyone. Larry Sharp. That that is uh, you. This is really the ultimate embodiment of that in uh, a presidential campaign. Yeah, and so like honestly, I do believe that localization is the best strategy to move libertarianism forward. Right. Um, uh, with that said, it's like you know I hope that we can get uh, other candidates that run and have different ideas that have different concepts of how they would go about doing it. Maybe they don't do a bankruptcy procedure at all. Maybe they just start burning the White House on day one. I don't know. <laughs> all right, Elijah, we're going to save this for yeah. the announcement interview when, we, uh, when we're really ready to put <laughs> okay. Robert of the Road for 2024. Let's get to the next question. What do you have for us here, Jim? Karim M. Maiz writes, question for Adam Elijah in terms of effective localization as a volunteerist. Would it be helpful to work towards a functional Minarchist framework first, work towards state level, then localization. I ask this because in terms of messaging, slowly weaning off the drug of statism might work better uh, on most people than to go cold turkey. So first of all, that's a misunderstanding of localization. Localization is not going cold turkey. It is localizing government authority down to the political level by taking apart government collectives from the top down. So you get rid of the federal government, state governments, county governments, until governments become voluntary and community-based and not forced on anyone, and everyone has the right to secede on their own property, that's uh, that's the vision. Uh, so, again, saying you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want as long as you don't force it on anybody, let's stop forcing it on people at this federal level, and you as a liberal or a conservative in a liberal or conservative state immediately get more of what you want. So this is – can you get the question back up? I want to make sure I'm addressing the crux of this, and I'll let Elijah take this, too. 
Yeah. Um, but the, the, the minarchist framework, it, both minarchists and anarchists are wrong. And I know there are going to be a lot of libertarians watching this interview. I'm going to piss all of them off right now because both it, libertarianism is, is, is better encapsulated by the, the ethical premises of, of self-ownership and the non-aggression principle, not uh, any particular vision of government or social organization, just that whatever it is, it must be voluntary. And, and if you say, I'm an anarchist, we shouldn't have any government, or I'm a minarchist, government should just do this, either way, you're a central planner. And localization avoids all of that. And that's why it's so much more effective and fun as a message, because we're saying, oh, you can have as much government or as little government as you want, as long as you don't force it on anybody else. So um, I, I kind of, I, I kind of, I think I understand the question. Um, what I would say is it's like, uh, yes, like <laughs> it takes all kinds, right? So, so if you like, like a message, like me putting forth a message in one way might work to wake some people up in one area, whereas somebody else taking a message in a different strategy in another way might wake other people up that I couldn't have, right? So I'm an evangelist. I always look at it in terms of, well, who are we waking up? Like as soon as. As it, like, um, was it the Stefan Molyneux line? I don't know if he stole it from somebody, but to see the cage is to leave it, right? Yes. And um, yes. and uh, that's mm-hmm. my job. I feel like is just to get people out of the cage, right? Like, so like I'm actually kind of a terrible, and I'll ruin my own career here. I'm a terrible <laughs> LP activist, right? Because because like when when anarchists tell me that they're not going to vote, like I'm just like, well, why am I going to even talk to you? You're already an anarchist. Like, there's no reason for me. Like, I look at the LP as a framework to bring people to voluntarism, right? Like, I don't look at it. Like, if, I, if I'm, like, petitioning or something in Philadelphia, which this happened a lot, by the way. Like, I'm, I, I was petitioning to get ballot access in Pennsylvania and, like, the hood in Philadelphia because that's what I do. I like to go to the hood because, um, uh, I don't know. That's why I feel comfortable. It's like I, I feel like I'm doing, like, like actual evangelism there, you know, like, so it's like, I'm talking to people and they're like, nah, I'm not going to vote. Like the government's all corrupt. My job here is done. I don't have to talk that person into voting for the libertarian because it doesn't matter. He's already on my team, right? Like <laughs> as, as long as somebody says I'm not voting because it doesn't matter, the government's corrupt and what I do like by voting isn't going to change anything. Well, yeah, that's, that's, you you're basically have, a libertarian yeah, without knowing it. Is share the value that you see as a result of this as activism in long-term yeah, improving humanity and challenging the injustices of the state. Exactly. So whatever framework you can use that gives you a medium to talk to people in a meaningful way, I would say do it. If you don't feel comfortable talking to people about localization, don't do it. Talk to them yeah. about minarchy. Right, um, or talk to them about something else that you feel comfortable and you or, feel effective. If you're an issue it. advocate, if, if there's something yeah. in particular that motivates you that you're passionate about, there's nothing wrong with sharing that either. I would just point out localization really overcomes all of these kind of hurdles that we seem yeah. to always have to clear over and over again, trying to get people to listen to uh, this message in a way that really changes their paradigm. And I just, I, I think Elijah would back me up on this compared to other activism. Uh, I've always felt most effective in the political realm using localization as a way to connect people with a deeper message through 
obvious practical policy that immediately improves everyone's life instead of, hey, I'm right about this issue, and let me convince you why I'm right about this issue, and if you don't get my philosophy, that's your problem. You know, and, I, and what I would say... A caricature, but that's you know, representative of the challenges we face. And what I would say, too, is is when Adam first told me, like, about his platform when I went to that event, um, like, I thought it was stupid. I was like, this isn't going to work. Nobody's going to want this. And he was like, well, have you tried talking to people about it? And I was like, well, no. And then I tried talking to people about it. And I was like, wow, like, people are really into this. Like, it's really easy. So what I would say is if you haven't tried actually talking to people about localization, um, do it, and you will find that that framing of the conversation is really amazing. That's why I believe it's the, the strategy to move the LP forward. It's not because even I think Adam's going to win – uh, he's going to get 40% of the vote, and none of the Democrats or Republicans are going to try to cheat him out of the election or assassinate him or anything. You know, that's not why. It's because I'm an evangelist, and I want to create new libertarians. And when I come to people with localization, it's the easiest way I know of of creating a new libertarian, right? And that, that's really the thing. And if we do that enough, we won't need to win the White House. Because it will just cease to exist eventually. If enough people say, nah, enough is enough, we'll ignore it. And then eventually we'll just stop. We'll just stop paying taxes and all that. You know, like it'll just, it'll just stop. We don't actually need to do this big, grand, like, plan necessarily. If we do win, hell yeah, we'll do it. But, like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it will actually be necessary. If you're experiencing discomfort due to an election <laughs> lasting more than 10 days between a red-flavored status and a blue-flavored status. Ask your libertarian candidates about localization today. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you. Uh, all right, That's so like Chris Hogg, Elijah would love if you could join my rally down in Annapolis this Sunday at 3, Libertarian at 18, and Free Julian Assange are my issues. Uh, so, Elijah, you want to share a way, a way for people, uh, for Chris to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm on Facebook. It's my name. Uh, pretty unique. Um, you can also email me at, um, it's my first name, dot my middle name, dot my last Is my name up for I got it. Or? I'm going to send it to CJ right now in the Producers Club, and he's going to get it on screen for us. For All right, cool. Me. Yeah, so it's Elijah.jon.gizzarelli at gmail.com. I'm sorry, it's like, 30 characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get, you'll, you'll get it in the description in, in this video as well, but I just texted oh, it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can always email me. Uh, hit me up on Facebook too. And, uh, and you know, if you have something, I would love to go down to Annapolis, but it is like uh, seven hours from my house. Um, that's just, <laughs> it's kind of rough for me, um, especially because I do plan on working tomorrow. But, um, I do appreciate the invite, and I would love to know about anything like that because I do travel pretty often around uh, the Northeast and, you know, far beyond I'll quite often to do stuff. But usually it's kind of like in a row. It's not like one-off trips. Uh, but, um, yeah, so if you do have a project that you want to work on or whatever, hit me up. Um, I try to be as active as possible, and if I can help you, I will help you. As long as I think that the project is worthwhile. All right. Next question from Empty Matter. 
have you ever seen Joe super angry? I always see her <laughs> smiling and everything. I'm not going to say I've seen her super angry. I've seen her perturbed. Um, you know, it is what it is. You know, you're on a campaign trail. Um, it's it's not pleasant. You know, like uh, especially Adam makes riding around in a bus look super easy. By the way, like people don't understand like how how difficult it is to actually travel around, even if you're staying in hotels. By the way, you get strong I'm, I'm out really quick. Conditioned and in, in yeah. the right demographic. He's, and he's a marine through and through. Like, yeah, no, it yeah, is. it's it's not easy. It is the not traveling, easy. no, I love it. I enjoy it for a lot of reasons. So, um, you know, I, yes, I, I've seen her a little perturbed. I, I haven't seen her, like, lose it or anything. So. All right. Well, Elijah, last question then. Is there anything else that you feel the need uh, to share with our audience to, to make this feel like a complete AA honor? Obviously, there's a lot <laughs> more that we can look at in terms of the general dynamics of 2020 and the party and the message and the movement, and I know we could – Elijah and I can and eventually probably will talk for probably 20 hours to make this really feel like a complete conversation. But, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the big questions for the, the immediate AAR of the Jorgensen campaign, what what do you feel the need to include here? All right. Well, what I would say, and, and you know, I, I invented the term hecklertarian um, to shame people from being hecklertarians, right, which is people who spend more time bad-mouthing the activism of other people instead of on their own activism. Um, and they think that they're part of the conversation by complaining all the time, but really they're ruining the show for everybody else. Um, and uh, and I, I do feel like we do have a problem with that in libertarian circles in general. Um, and it's like, look, um, and we kind of touched on this earlier. It's like, you are the power, to quote Spike Cohen. Like, you can join the Libertarian Party and be a, a serious player in it um, with just a little bit of passion and a little bit of elbow grease. Um, yeah. Like, you really can. It's a small pond, and you can become a big fish pretty quickly. Um, we're really just looking for people to do work. And in the inside the Libertarian Party, people actually do the activism. It's not even like minarchists versus like anarchists or prags versus radicals. It's not really like that. It's literally just a group of people that actually do stuff, and then a whole lot of ornery people that don't do much, right? Like that mm -hmm. is really what it is. And the people that yeah, actually people. do stuff get along, even though we have extremely large differences in opinion on different philosophies. But we do the work and we recognize the fact that other people are contributing. So what I would say is like for like libertarian presidential candidates or any kind of candidate, right? If, as long as they're more libertarian than the people that they're running about against, we should be pretty cool with that. Now, maybe you don't donate to their campaign, Maybe you don't volunteer for their campaign, but to go out of your way to publicly talk smack about their campaign is just really weird. Why, when, since when have libertarians been the community that always criticizes the most libertarian person in every race? <laughs> like, that's literally what we've become, right? Like, <laughs> and it's, it's really weird. It's really weird. It's like, look, you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I'm not saying don't ever complain about a libertarian candidate. If a libertarian candidate is not being libertarian, 
or is even coming close to as bad as, you know, the Republicans or Democrats that they're going against, by all means, speak up. But if they're way better than their opponents and you're just talking smack about them, even in closed libertarian circles, you're, you're talking smack to their, their donor base and their volunteer base. Like that, that, that really crushes a campaign. Like just stop. Just ignore it. Like, for instance, I was really worried Jacob Hornberger would win. It's not that I don't like Jacob Hornberger as a person. I think he's a good person. I think that his messaging is terrible. Um, I think that he makes libertarianism look bad, right? And it's not because he doesn't say the right things. It's he says it in a way that puts off a lot of right. people, and I, in my opinion. Out, if you agree with me, just to stay on this. Yeah. You know, well, don't cut me off on that cliffhanger right? there. Let, let, let me finish well, that sentence, at least. <laughs> I got to say this about yeah. Hornberger, though. Yeah. You still would have supported him, right, if he was the nominee. And your criticism here is not yeah. about his ethics or his personality, but a very specific messaging choice that he has made in the way that he communicates the message. So what I I would have done is I would have ignored his candidacy, right? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have tried to spread them out because if I'm spreading that message, I would be introducing people to libertarianism through Hornberger and that prospect terrifies me, right? Like (laughs) I feel like he might turn those people off for their whole lives. Um, and I so, think that's unnecessarily harsh, but your point in, in terms of the implications is, is well taken. And your bigger right, point so, that you're making so here maybe is I'm not correct would do about nothing it. to impede yeah. his effort because he's still legitimately exactly. I I wouldn't publicly like talk smack about him. Every time he made a mistake, I wouldn't go out of my way to be like, "You yeah, see, this is why we should have nominated X, Y, or Z." You know, like that is completely counterproductive and really stupid if your goal is to spread libertarianism, right? If your goal isn't to spread libertarianism, then, I mean, that would explain a lot if that's what you're spending your time doing. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so that's my main thing is just like, look, guys, don't be so toxic with people. Um, if If you don't agree with something like Joe Jorgensen said or did, like, for instance, the Alan Dershowitz thing, um, yeah, that was a mistake. They literally corrected it within 24 hours. Okay, I'm pretty sure Trump hired Alan Dershowitz, like, last year. Um, and so it's like, yeah, so she mentions him in a list, and now you're, like, really upset, and you're spreading it around, telling everybody who didn't even know she ever put him in the list that the libertarian candidate put Alan Dershowitz in a list for the Supreme Court, which, by the way, didn't even make sense because he's, like, 85. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, right? So it's like, was that a mistake? Yes. Was, what was the problem? Is that we're the Libertarian Party. We don't have enough money to spend tons of money on people who do a bunch of research. And, yeah, like, when the everything. LP puts out a, By the way, I think your hair is on your new microphone there. Elijah. Oh, is uh, it hard to hear me? A little, a little static from that. But, yeah, no, it, it's worth pointing out that when, when an LP candidate releases a document like that, it's usually them and maybe their campaign manager gets to go over it, whereas the Republican Party and Democratic Party with their $400 million annual budgets and billions for the presidential campaigns have staff or, you know, layers of staff to, to develop those documents. And yeah, if, if you have, the bigger if you have point two is, people. If you're, if you're taking a clerical error, essentially, as an excuse to criticize a candidate, you're exposing yourself as being here for the wrong reasons. And also, you're taking what you claim to dislike and propagating it, 
right? You're like, oh, no, now people are going to think libertarians think this. And it's like, no, now they think that because you just told them about it. It doesn't make any sense. If you don't like something, you can complain about it, bring it up through proper channels. Email the campaign manager. Do something productive. Not it sounds like a saboteur, and it smells like a saboteur. <laughs> exactly. Like, stop doing COINTELPRO's job for them. And uh, and so, like, like and by the way, two people in their 60s, thinking of Alan Dershowitz, think about how he made porn illegal in the United States. That's why they put him on the list. They don't think of, oh, Jeffrey Epstein, stuff that happened, like, two years ago. They think of, like, a, a badass civil rights lawyer from the 80s. Right. Like, that's what they think of. <laughs> um, so it is what it is. Um, now you can say, well, they should have known. Well, maybe you should have donated more money so they could have hired somebody that knew. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but they didn't know. And they corrected it. As soon as people brought it up to them, they were like, oh, yeah, we don't want that. And they changed it. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's exactly what you should want from a candidate. <laughs> um, All right, Eliza. I I really just want to say thank you for, for all this time. You know, I, I, I know our, our audience is enjoying this, getting, you know, good feedback. And uh, I, we're going to have Elijah on again. Uh, you know, I'm sure at some point to check in one way or another to catch up with his uh, endeavors in activism and hopefully uh, around announcing the relaunch with Progress 2024 whenever we decide that that's specifically <laughs> appropriate. Uh, Elijah, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, anything else you need to say to make this feel complete? No, man. Uh, just go out there and get involved in the Libertarian Party. Um, it's way easier than you probably think, and you can do way more good than you probably think. Um, we really just need people to do stuff. For as many people that get involved in the Libertarian Party, even just a fracture of those, a fraction of those people actually do proactive stuff. So um, if you've got ideas, you're like, the LP should do this. Well, join the LP and do it. Um, and that's my email address. There you go. <laughs> Be one of those people who gets shit done for the yeah, LP. Exactly. There, there is a Facebook page, the Get Shit Done Caucus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So You don't there you hear go, about guys. it very often because the people in it are too busy getting shit <laughs> yeah. done. We literally, nobody posts on that page ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Elijah, thank you so much. All right, peace out. All right, everybody, that's our show. I hope you really enjoyed that and that was worth going over time for. I really did uh, think it was. So uh, just wrapping up really quickly, unless uh, I see any other, like, urgent or critical comments on the screen, we're just going to, wrap this up and say thank you uh, to all of our producer club members for making the show what it is. Check out AdamVersusTheMan.com to join us on Patreon and buy your way in for $10 a month if you can't win membership on one of the contests we do here on the air a couple times a week at least. At AdamVersusTheMan.com you can also check out our awesome merchandise selection that CJ put together and if you're a producer club member you get 15% off and free shipping so check that out. But uh, just anything you do to help spread the message, support the show to make it possible to do what we do, we greatly appreciate. Especially supporting our affiliates at CigarFederation.com, promo code ADAM10, ADAM10, all caps. Gets you 10% off there at CigarFederation.com. And then you can join us for Cigars and Sunsets Friday evenings here at Gardenia. And MakeThemDebate.com. If you want to get involved in a fun way to make some more debates happen, please check us out. Check out my profile. 
make another debate happen. And with that being said, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness. Be excellent to each other. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.